Hello, everybody, and welcome. You're listening to SFF Addicts, a bi-weekly panel podcast featuring writers from fanfiatic.com, authors, publishing professionals, bloggers, and more, where we come together to chat about science fiction and fantasy, as well as the occasional jaunt into the wider SFF industry. I'm your host, Adrian M. Gibson, and today we're offering up another TV Club bonus episode chatting about season one of The Wheel of Time with authors P. Jelly Clark and Patricia A. Jackson, as well as fellow podcaster Sarah Carruthers and booktuber Benjamin from Literature and Lo-Fi. This meaty, 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 near three-hour discussion delivered a lot of thoughtful, varied opinions on the show, including its many flaws and successes, a broad narrative analysis of the season, actor portrayals of our favorite characters, hopes for season two and beyond, and much, much more. Also, there will be full spoilers for the first season of the show and book one, The Eye of the World, in Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time series, as well as bits of book two, The Great Hunt, and the prequel novel, New Spring. So, dear listeners, proceed with caution. Just know that there will be a lot of spoilers in this discussion. All right, now on to the panel. Here we go. All right. Welcome, everybody, to another TV Club bonus episode of the podcast, where we're going to be talking about the first season of the Wheel of Time TV adaptation. And today I have a fantastic panel of guests to discuss the first season of the show with me. First up is P. Jelly Clark, the award-winning author of Ring Shout, Master of Gin, and more. He's one of the biggest Wheel of Time fans I know, and I'm very glad he could join us to discuss the first season of the show. Have you been, Fenderson? Oh, yeah. I've been good. How have you been? I'm good, man. Good to see you again. Yeah, I've been good. I've been good. <laughs> Just for anyone for anyone listening, he is very casually holding been really this good right now. Bulky, bulky <laughs> wheel of time companion. <laughs> Just showing off. Uh oh, man. Uh by the way, for, for listeners and viewers, the P in his name stands for Fenderson. So that's how I'll be referring to him throughout the show. Uh next up we have Patricia A. Jackson joining us making her third appearance on the podcast in as many months so welcome back patty thank Uh, you she's the author of forging a nightmare anyone watching the video can see that flaming horse behind her Uh, that's her debut novel which came out last november so how are you doing my dear i'm doing very well it's a little cold and icy here in pennsylvania but uh i have good company and good friends here and you're all warm and cozy inside it's all good and uh, next up, we have Sarah Carruthers, also making her third appearance on the show. So we have a tie for the most guest appearances. And now the battle for the top spot commence. Who's going to win? Sarah is I the... I think we should just keep it as a tie. And every time you have uh, Patty on, you have to have me on. And every time you have me on, you have to have Patty on. That's a very fair way to go about it. But I also feel like you're scared of Patty and you feel like you're going to lose. <laughs> My lightsaber's at school, so you're good. I mean, but you did just bring out that horse whip, so. <laughs> Patty's got you. And She's so got... began the biggest rivalry between two people ever. I love it. Sarah armed with pugs and Patty armed with a horse whip. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to win? Uh, so Sarah is the co-host of the Fiction Fans podcast, a voracious reader and a dear friend. And I'm very glad to have you back. Thank you for having me on. It's a delight to be back. 
As always, as always. And finally, rounding out the panel, we've got Benjamin, host of the BookTube channel Literature and Lo-Fi. He's the slayer of TBR piles, obsessor of sci-fi and fantasy, and he loves lo-fi music, as do I. He also has a sexy British accent, so I'm happy to have you on the podcast to swoon <laughs> our listeners. How are you, my friend? Very good. Very good to be here and excited to talk about the real time with you guys. Yeah. Well, uh, let's yeah. get into it. Uh, kicking off the discussion, I just wanted to hear everybody's personal relationship history with the Wheel of Time series. Uh, so, Fenderson, we'll kick it off with you. Uh, so, yeah, you saw my big companion there. I think I started reading. I mean, my, my, my association with it was that I had finished reading a bunch. I was younger and I finished reading a bunch of other, like, long they weren't nothing this long uh trilogies things like the bulgarian and all those kinds of things and i was casting around for something new to read and there was this guy and he was holding this book called eye of the world i said well that looks interesting what's that about and he said oh it's this great book you know and it's so good i'm almost done i'm almost finished but i like it so much i'm going to like stop reading it and read it all over again so I can just get to the end, right? I don't know. That's weird, but sure. Dude, whatever. <laughs> he said, so you can borrow it in the meantime, and then you can just give it back to me, and I'll just be able to read it again. So I said, okay. And so I took that book, and he never saw that book again. Like, I dodged him <laughs> in the streets. Like, he would call me. I'd be like, no, I'm not home. You know, I just, uh, he never saw the book again. That's, that's just the way it was. I still have the book here. He'll, if, dude, if you want it, c- come at me. But I got the book. It's, <laughs> and so um since that time i think i just fell in love with the series felt like i grew up with the folks in edmunds field yes i read the whole way through <laughs> all of them uh i've reread them and so yeah I, I always think that in some ways my early writing in fact probably was a little too close to robert jordan there was that much of an influence and so i, I had to break of that um but you know it's still one of my one of my guilty, one of my uh, things that I like reading. I enjoy reading. I've listened to the audiobooks as well. Um, and so, yeah, love the series. Have my critiques of the series. Lots of critiques of the series. Uh, but also a series that uh, I really like. So I was really excited uh, to learn that there would be a television show, especially after being burned way back when, when Spike TV was going to be one. And it never happened. So I was really happy uh, that, to see this one come about. I think it's probably a good thing that Spike TV didn't end up doing that adaptation. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Dodged the bullet on that one. For sure, for sure. My 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 memories of of Spike TV were not great back in the day. That was the channel my parents were just like stay away. Very firm. Do not watch that channel. <laughs> it was it was tainted by the male power. It was. <laughs> oh. So it would have been perfect. Oh, man, they could have had so many inside jokes. Damn. And uh, Sarah, what about you? What's your personal history with Wheel of Time? Um, so I am the one half of Fiction Fans podcast that likes Wheel of Time. Lily is not a fan whatsoever. Um, she hasn't even I started, started. <laughs> barely even started. She's watched, I think she watched the first five episodes of the show. Um. But I don't think she's finished the season, and she has no plans to read the books. Um, but I got into the books because a good friend of mine um, is a huge fan, and she wanted someone to talk about the upcoming TV show with. So I said, "Okay, I'll I'll read the books for you, um, so that you can <laughs> you can talk about the show to me." Uh, and I did. 
And how long that is did it take you? How long did it take you to read all of them? Because I feel like um, people I've, are going to be surprised by how quickly you went through that series. Well, so I read all of them in a year um, or twelve months. But I, in the meantime, I started a podcast, and so my reading, my wheel of time reading time, uh, decreased uh, exponentially. But I feel like a year is very impressive to go through. Yeah, still. So, oh my gosh. Those books are like, I think the shortest one is six, 700 pages or something yeah. like they're, that. They're yeah. quite long. Yeah, it was a commitment. It's like New, new Spring is like a novella in the eyes of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, that's a full-on novel, straight up. Oh, man. And uh, Patty, what's your relationship with Wheel of Time? Um, I came into becoming a reader a little late in life. I was probably 13 when I fell in love with Mary Stewart's books. And then I discovered Frank Herbert. Um, and then I discovered, you know, Tolkien's books, Lord of the Rings and fell in love with them. By the time I got around to the eye of the world, I think I was done with things being over described to me and I wanted more of a fast and furious pace to my writing so I, I don't want to be a quitter I don't like to do not finish on a book so I did finish but I sort of felt like I had the whole Thomas Hardy return of the native effect going on and, and schools kill a love of reading for some kids in some cases and I think there was some of that so I didn't go beyond that, but as far as the television show, when I heard about it, it's fantasy, and I'm a diehard fan, so I was there, um, and I love any kind of fantasy I can get my hand on, so I'm probably going to be the non-smartest one of the group here, but I can give that visceral effect as far as a TV show, so there you go. It's not about smarts, Patty. Come on now. Yeah. <laughs> it has nothing to do with intelligence. It's all about patience and if forging it a nightmare truly, is anything is any indication patty loves a fast-paced novel galloping pace we call it galloping <laughs> pace you know and it's also one of those novels where you have this huge ensemble cast and i guess from being an only child i'm always looking for that one character I can latch on to, and I want that story. And when you take me away to all these different stories, I get impatient and I start skipping because I'm going to get back to that character. <clears throat> Lan. <laughs> just, just saying. Oh, my poor Lan. And uh, Ben, if you want to share with everybody your, your history with the series. Yeah, sure. So I, I started around a year and a half ago and it was mainly like me getting into booktube and also back in reading after years and years of not really reading that much and reading myths and fantasies so i picked it back up and um so yeah everyone was talking about the eye of the world and real of time the tv show was coming it's the next big thing uh so i decided to pick it up give it a try um after we you know like i think i finished the first book in a week then i put it down and went well that that wasn't amazing it, it was okay I sort of just brushed it aside. And then a couple of months later, I picked up the second book and I missed all the characters and was like, wow, th 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 this is like returning to old friends. That's what it felt like to me. And um, yes, after that, it was pretty much a blur. And I just started reading all the books within the span of a year. Amazing. And he also covered a bunch, you've covered all of them on your channel, correct? No, I've only um, just started the series covering the books on the channel. Okay. Um, I'm doing a reread now, and at the same time doing my sort of retrospective reviews on it. Nice. Wow. And uh, yeah, my personal history, I picked it up 
when I was younger. So I'd finished uh, The Lord of the Rings on my second attempt uh, reading The Lord of the Rings because my first attempt I was eight. After reading The Hobbit, I thought, I'm going to read Lord of the Rings. Ha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I came back to it when I was 12. And after that, I just had a real, real craving for, for more fantasy. Um, and then found Robert Jordan series. I only read up to the fourth book. Um, cause I didn't read them all in short burst or anything like that. It was kind of like, I read them once a year, like one book a year type thing. And by the time I finished the fourth book, I was in high school and then I graduated and went to university and my, my reading habits just got overwhelmed by classic English literature and all that fun stuff. So my fantasy kind of took a backseat, unfortunately. Um, but I picked it up again last summer. Uh, one of the guys from FanFi Addict, Manny, asked everybody if they wanted to do uh, a one-month book-by-book uh, reread. So one book a month type thing of The Wheel of Time. And I did the first month with him and a bunch of other people in August, read Eye of the World, and realized with all the other reading I do, it's not going to be easy for me to complete one book a month. It's going to be near impossible. So I read Eye of the World, uh, reread it, enjoyed it, still have my criticisms, but it was kind of cool to reconnect with the world after over a decade. And I have The Great Hunt on my my reread TBR for this year. So I'm, I'm kind of going at it with, I'm going to try and get one or two books a year and I'll be done by the time my son graduates. So, <laughs> but I do love the series. It's it's a really captivating world, and and um, I think the show presents a lot of stuff that that is so captivating about what Robert, what Robert Jordan created. Um, it's not flawless, but we're gonna get into first impressions and see what every everyone thinks of the show. Uh, so there, the show came out uh, starting in November ended in i think it was around christmas time uh last month eight episodes in total uh and this is on amazon prime uh so for anyone who is listening to this and hasn't watched the show go check it out uh but you will need an amazon prime subscription um but let's get into first impressions because i'm very very curious what everyone thinks so let's start off with sarah um overall i really enjoyed the show i got to um attend one of the uh early viewings uh because there was an early viewing of the first two episodes uh held in San Francisco. Uh so I got a little sneak preview uh which was really cool and that uh gave me a lot of confidence in the show which I think held up until about episode 8 which I was <laughs> pretty disappointed in. Um uh I did rewatch the series as a whole over Christmas and liked episode 8 much better, but I still think it's the weakest episode of of all of the season. And and we'll get into Oh damn, we'll get into episode 8 later on. <laughs> <laughs> um Ben, what about you? What's uh what was your first impression after after finishing the the first season of the show? So I, I was actually suffering from a book hangover from actually finishing the series at this point. Um, but I went in feeling really optimistic about it and quite hopeful. 
And I think the love for the series really did catch me quite a bit and that there were certain parts where I was just like, oh my God, we're actually doing this. We're living this world. It feels amazing. And then at the same time, um, I, I think there were moments where I was like, oh no, the fans are really going to backlash on this. Oh no. <laughs> um, so it, it was mixed feelings for me, um, but it, it really did build up as the series went on that there was a lot of things I thought, okay, I, I'm feeling hopeful now we're, we're doing a lot of the right things. You know, we, we can attract a much larger, larger audience. And then episode eight came and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> oh, episode eight. Uh, Patty, <laughs> what was your, what was your first impression? You're always talking to first time writers with their novels, not to dump everything in the first chapter. And that's sort of what the first episode felt like a little amateur hour. But again, I'm, I'm not into big ensemble casts and lots of things happening at the same time. I like to latch on to a character. So it took me two episodes to say, okay, I'm going to stay here for a little while. Um, the character of Rand gives me Anakin vibes, which wanted to send me to the hills he even looks like anakin i just wanted to run for the hills but i was in love with lan and i love roseman pike i love her work so i thought okay we're going to stay with this um and we're going to roll with it because I, I love fantasy and there just isn't enough of it on television and i got to the point where i was excited for the next episodes to come and then episode eight happened and i was like what is this? Um, because this is a kind of fantasy and something else that sets me ajar. I don't like it. Um, so I can't wait till we get to that point. Um, but I, I will give it a go. I will show up for season two. I will be there for season two. Cool. And Fenderson, what about you? Episode so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> one of the things is that I come at this as a person who read the books when I was younger. And you always have to wonder when you read the books when you're younger that Part of it is just nostalgia, right? Part of it is that, like, when I say I grew up with them, like, literally years, right? Like, I had to wait for the book to come out. And so I I have this, I have a relationship to it that's perhaps a, bit, a, little, a little different because I read them so early and that, you know, I kept on reading them. And so I, when I, when the TV show came out, I told myself, one, a TV show cannot possibly be uh, the same thing as a book. That's impossible, right? You can't adapt these things. These are very lengthy books. There's no way you can put all of this in here. In fact, the Wheel of Time was often called the unadaptable. Like it was literally worse. And it was unadaptable uh, to the screen in any way. And so when this was going to be done, I, I kind of told myself, okay, talk myself down. You know, I did my, my golem like back and forth, like, <laughs> hey buddy, you know, uh, you know it can't be all these yeah. things. They're going to have to cut things out. They're going to have to shorten things. They're going to have to do what, um, so I, I, by the way, I blogged about each episode of my own blog, the disgruntled Haradrim, which is named after token, but anyway. Um, and so I blogged about each episode and I think the term I came up with was economical world building. How do you find a way to expand and talk about this huge world in the short amount of time you have thinking about time constraints, thinking about budgets, thinking about is getting everybody immersed in this so that they are long for the ride. And so I, I went in there fully understanding that. And so from the first episode onward, I kind of accepted a lot of things, even if I was, sometimes I was like, hmm, I think, I think like Ben said, sometimes I was like, oh, the fans are not going to like that. Yeah. I'm one of the fans. I don't like that. Yeah. Uh, but I was, I was kind of like, okay, 
let's see what you got next, right? Okay, you've made some serious changes here. That's kind of brave, right? Like dodgeball, like, you know, that's a bra- that's a brave move. Let's see, let's see what how this is gonna work out for you. And so I watched and I watched and I was pretty much along for the ride. I think I loved when I got to see certain things that we never got to see in the books that I decided to expand on, especially on those openers. And so I really liked a lot of that stuff. And I just wondered, like, you built this up. Let's see if you can stick that landing. And the, the landing was, uh, it was a little off. Yeah. The landing was a little <laughs> off. <laughs> At the end, uh, the infamous episode eight, the landing was a little, when I had to put up the numbers, I was like, yeah, you, you built us all up there. It was like watching a person about to break dance, you know, when they get really ready for it. And then when they finally do it, you're like, <laughs> I'm just imagining oh, like wheel of time, this. wheel of time break like dance. Show. I am looking forward to next season. As much as you will hear me with criticisms, I overall said, I like, I like the series. Um, I was just disappointed in something. I think I came at it from a, a, a similar perspective as you Fenderson that since I reread I have the world recently so many of these things were fresh in my mind and before the show came out I was thinking like do I have to build this all up in my head as if it's going to be the perfect replica of that book and obviously the book has some things that I I wasn't a huge fan of either as much as I enjoy it um but at the same time just knowing how things generally work, the disappointment that I've felt in the past when it comes to adaptations. Hey, Game of Thrones, how you doing? Um, to not to not take things too personally, and to understand that this show is essentially someone else's version of Wheel of Time, mm. and that if things are not how I like it, that's just how it is. I don't I don't need to get all butthurt about it, you know, just love the show for what's really good. Critique mm-hmm. it for what, what I didn't like. And then like Ben and, and Fenderson were doing having those moments where I was just like, ha, Oh man, the fans are going to go fucking wild over this <laughs> and just enjoy that, you know, cause it actually brought me some, uh, some good laughs to think like, Oh, that, that, that moment right there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and overall, I mean, I had mixed feelings about the first season, but um, I, I've watched, I've watched all eight episodes twice, but the first run through was with my parents, um, cause they were visiting during December. So it was really cool to see, you know, I kind of tested the waters. I was like, mom, dad, do you want to watch this, uh, with my wife and I, uh, and my mom was like, yeah, sure. Whatever. It was only an hour. And after the first episode, uh, my wife, uh, sorry, my mom kept pestering us and was just like, so we're going to watch wheel of time tonight. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> you know, we watched two, okay. we watched, uh, two, three episodes. My mom's like, come on, like there's five more episodes. Let's keep watching. So I was, <laughs> I, was uh, I was really enjoying experiencing it with yeah. my parents and to see how my dad fell asleep a couple of times. He's just that kind of guy when he watches movies or TV. And there is a lot of exposition in this show. And I was just kind of like watching my mom with a keen eye and being like, how is she reacting to this? And the funniest thing, when this season ended, I'm just going to do a quick, uh, quick aside. When the season ended and I explained to my mom, because I, I gave her nothing. I gave her nothing. I was just like, it's a fantasy show. Let's check it out. The end of the season, I told my mom, this is a 14 book fantasy series. And she's like, what? And I was like, <laughs> yep. 
and they're going to try and condense it into maybe 10. She's like, 10 seasons? Are you fucking kidding me? And then she's like, I'm out. She straight up said, I'm out. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so that was, that was the best moment for me to see my mom's reaction and her just saying, I'm out. You know, I like the first season, but 10, are you kidding me? I cannot do that. Why? Why would she tap out? I mean, that's a good thing. My mom's not the kind of, she's like quick and dirty when it comes to movies and series. Yeah. I understand that. Yeah. So 10 seasons for her is like, that's too much. That's too much, man. (laughs) It's funny because I watched it with my parents as well. And they uh, had the opposite reaction at the end. They were like, I want more. My mother said, I'm, I'm really tempted to go out and buy all 14 books now. Yeah, because I, I, I told my mom, I was like, I can, uh, I can send you a link for the ebook because she, she has a Kindle now. I was like, I can send you the link for the complete Wheel of Time because she loves reading. She reads all the time, you know, but she's like, no, 14 books is too many. And then I just look at her. I'm like, you're a Danielle Steele fan. How how can you be how ugh, no I just I couldn't I couldn't <laughs> it's like how many Daniel Steele books have you read how many Nora Roberts books have you read just like don't give yeah. me that fourteen is too much crap <laughs> wow yeah it was it was a wonderful Patty you're just looking at me like well it's not oh, like man. she even has to wait you know she can finish one book and if she liked it she can just get the next one. It's not like Fenderson who had to like wait, you know, and on bated breath for the next one to come. So yeah, yeah I'm kind of shocked. And you're right. Daniel Steele. Mm-mm, no, I used to work in a bookstore. I know what that looks like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My, my, I'm not going to get too much into my mom's reading history. <laughs> um, before we get into anything else, uh, parents aside, I think this, this show deserves a little bit of a, uh, a moment to to reflect on just the character performances because we do have this main cast and it is such a character driven show that they um that if viewers did not connect with any or all of the characters then that that would kind of ruin the show for for you for me the reason that i was invested in the show is because i'm invested in the characters so i want to take a moment for us to just kind of go through uh, each of the main cast, and we can reflect a little bit on the performances, uh, how it squares up in terms of what we envisioned while we were reading the books, um, and then how the actors themselves uh, succeeded or perhaps failed or middled in in terms of their representation of that character. So first off, we've got uh, Moraine, who was portrayed by the actress Rosamund Pike. So if anyone wants to jump in on what they thought of Moraine. Go for it. Anyone. (laughs) I thought she did a great job um, and really uh, grounded the series um, as kind of like our main point of view character and our introduction to uh, the Emmonsfield Five and the world. Um, And we get a lot more of her and her relationship with Lan than I feel Mm -hmm. we get in the books. And I really liked how that was developed. Um, I thought that added a, a layer of complexity that made it her it made her feel more like a person and less kind of like this uh this uh gandalf figure that you don't really know if you can trust or not mm-hmm. but then there were things about moraine that as it goes on you know you do see that she's holding a lot back 
uh, and that she, she does have her duplicitous. own personal machinations, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, she she definitely is working towards her own goals, and she's not telling everyone everything. Um, but I think that that comes across in a much more understandable way in the show than it does in the books. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I will say... I loved her portrayal, but the introduction to her in the first episode was a little bit cheesy for me, where it's just she strolls into the bar like it's a fucking Western saloon and everyone's like, who's that? You know, that was yeah. a bit, eh, it didn't really work for me. I did expect like a Reeve shoots out at that point or something. Along those lines. <laughs> yeah. I could tell again in the economical world building, they were just trying to cut down on, you know, I guess in the books, it's like, there's a lot of talk, like there's a lady in the village, you know, and everybody's, and we, we like have to endure that for like pages and pages and pages. They're like, let's just cut four the chapters. Do this quick here. Yeah. Oh, it's crazy. like, she's there. There's a lady in the village. And so, no, I thought she, I thought, I thought she was a, a great character. I, I really, I think I agree with what Sarah said. I like that they, they invested more in her character. I thought, and we'll talk about Lan in a second, but I thought her and Lan were, were both made a bit more complex. Though in the books we know she is, but you're right, you're right, Sarah. She has the I'm in a loop, I to die, right? And so uh, in this one, we really got to see more about her. And I guess in the books, one of the things is that, you know, in, in, in that first book especially, everything is Rand's perspective for the most part of everyone. And so what the show gets to do that, you know, the books don't, they don't have to, especially since they were trying to Jedi mind fake us uh, with who is the, who is the, who is the dragon. Yeah. And so, you know, that, and I'm like, yeah, we all know it's Rand, y'all. <laughs> it's going to be Rand. <laughs> Come on. And so, because everything is not Rand-centered, yeah, I think we got to see a lot more of her from her perspective, you know, where everything is not just like, what does Rand see of her? Um, and so I really like that. Oh, and I have to say that, you know, they didn't get to do the ageless thing, you know, somebody called it magical Botox uh, that <laughs> Robert Jordan has. And they said the reason they couldn't was, they just didn't have the budget. You know, they just didn't have the, the budget. And, like, people were complaining about that. I was like, well, you, you got magical Botox money? Then no. Then this is what we have. And I somehow still think that there was a way that Rosamund Pike pulled it off, I suppose, maybe in her gracefulness or whatever, where I knew that it wasn't the ageless thing, but I could still get this notion that when she shows up, she's a figure that commands presence and power. And so I, I, I thought that was really well done. Yeah, and there yeah was, she had a gravity of, to her. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It's like you could sense mm-hmm. that she was um wise and had experienced a lot of stuff and at the same time she felt very human and i think that's something yeah. for me that was that was great this extended portrayal of her presented the more human sides of her of her character and her personality and we'll get into it later but you know especially her relationship with lan and then uh, i think it's episode 7 where things are revealed about her uh mm-hmm. her relationship with the with the emerlin seat well, uh, she's episode, a Bond girl. Episode six, I think. Episode six. Yeah. Episode six. She's yeah. a Bond girl, and she kind of brought that a little bit. And <laughs> I guess I wasn't worried about the bar thing, because as a D&D player, it always pops off in the bar. An so, elf, a dwarf, uh, and so, a ranger walk into a bar. <laughs> absolutely. So I was I was like, oh, okay, you got to pay attention, because here comes the quest. Um, yeah. But I, I thought she brought just a a maturity and there was a duplicity to her. Um, I guess what I really liked about her is vulnerable. She got Mm -hmm. hurt. 
And, and that really took her down a couple of notches. And you don't necessarily always see that with Gandalf. Um, it's a crisis moment when Gandalf is hurt. But she was really hurt and she stayed hurt throughout this, which gave her an authenticity. Mm-hmm. Ben, what about and you? And I have to say... Oh, sorry, Fenderson, go I'm ahead. Sorry. Sorry, oh, I forgot Ben hadn't gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to agree with Patty, actually. Like, I really like the fact that they made Moraine quite vulnerable. Um, it's something you get in some of the books, but you don't get to a massive extent. Mm-hmm. And for me, the wisest decision they ever made with the show was actually making Moraine center, making her the glue which brings all the characters together. Because we're going to have them all wondering about more. We're going to have loads more cutscenes, loads more characters that we don't follow in the books doing stuff. They've all got to come back to someone, so it might as well be Moraine. And I think she did a terrific job. She smashed it out of the park. Yeah. Because because so much of the world building and the characters, the Emmonsfield Five and and their trajectory relies upon Moraine. And a lot of the, the yeah. world building is propelled by her because she's dragging them along through these different places. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, like you say, Ben, a lot of the context for the show comes through her acting as the as the narrative center the focal point and i think yeah rosamund pike nailed it in that respect uh fenderson you want to get in here with a bit bit well i was just going to say one last thing i think one thing that she does and this is like a a criticism of the show and yet it's a positive for her is that and i'll go back to the bar scene like i just said her walking into the bar the one thing that did do that i I did like was that it showed you like when people walked in and they saw the serpent ring, I was like, yeah, that's the thing, you know, like in the books, you show that serpent ring and everybody like snap to it. <laughs> you know what this is? You know what this means? Right. I'm an Aes Sedai and Aes Sedai is in the house. Everybody like get quiet and start groveling, knuckle your forehead, whatever that means in the books, you know, constantly. <laughs> you remember that? Like There's a lot of knuckling this? of the forehead. Um, <laughs> Jordan has a ton of really weird description. It's just like, stop fucking playing with oh, your right. braid. Like, yeah. <laughs> so I, I like that. And the criticism is that Moraine really emphasized that she had that, like somebody said, that gravitas. And I thought that I didn't get that really from the rest of the show, from the other Aes Sedai all the time. Maybe when they were Tarvalin, I didn't get the feeling that people knew like Aes Sedai, like, whoa, you know, Aes Sedai show up. It should be like, that's a Jedi, (laughs) right? Everybody should be like, drop what you're doing. That's an Aes Sedai, right? And I didn't get that fully from the rest the way I got from her. Maybe I got a little bit, certainly from Swan, because she's camera on the seat. But I don't think I got that, and I was glad that she provided that, and I was disappointed that I didn't get this. I didn't get that sense of that later on. I'll even go into white cloaks, you know, chopping off eyes without hands and all. I was like, "Why? Well, yeah, come on." Um, but yeah, and so I, I thought that she gave the respect. She put the respect on the eyes without names that I thought that needed to be done, and I, I was disappointed I didn't see that kept up as I saw it anyway throughout the series. Yeah, because there was there was a world building point moment in the in the bar scene where um, she gets this reaction from a lot of the the people that are in the bar, whether it's disgust or just kind of like hatred towards yeah. the Aes Sedai, that was a really mm-hmm. cool world building point, right. but that didn't really happen that much later on. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't necessarily have to come up in the form of a, a visceral reaction like that. It could be like you say, instead of, disgust or, or hatred or just aversion to Aes Sedai, it could be someone being like, oh shit, you know, this is a yeah. Jedi, this is an Aes Sedai, this is someone really, really powerful and just coming that moment of awe. But that doesn't really happen that much. And then, like you say, doesn't really come up again until until Tar Valon, where people are 
are yeah. living amongst the Aes Sedai, and then you have the Amalurlin seat who evokes that sort of like even showing up energy. in Faldara, like like oh yeah, it's like not the Aes here, like <laughs> big deal, y'all. Yeah, y'all get up, get up, stand up. There's an Aes Sedai here, but didn't get that. But. Yeah, Sarah. You want to say I was something? just going to say that we we don't actually see a lot of um, interaction between the Aes Sedai and like normal folk, um, and I think in in Faldara, uh, they're because um, Lady what is it Amalisa has trained at the White Tower. I feel like some Amalisa, of the mystique yeah. is yeah some of the mystique has kind of uh, gone away from the Aes Sedai a little bit there. Um, but that's not necessarily the case with other people who don't have any interactions with them. But we just haven't seen that happen yet. Yeah, because there are, I mean, we'll get into this, but there are some prime locations from the books that get skipped over where there are moments of of uh, common folk interacting with the Aes Sedai much more directly. Um, well, let's get into Lan first. How did everyone uh, think of Lan's portrayal? He was uh, acted by Daniel Henney. So if anyone wants to get in on that. He is my reason for staying with the show. Because he's sexy. <laughs> I just love his character. There's such a quiet strength about him mm-hmm. that is just so wonderful. Because you know he's like a special op soldier. Yeah. And do, do you, you know- love his character or his butt that we see in the first episode yeah i was thinking his pecs myself but you know we can always go back and check that out no i'm gonna be good it was i'm just drawn by i'm drawn to the warders um as someone who's sort of a wheel horse myself and what i mean by that is you're the closest to the carriage and you have to be the most reliable of the horses that are pulling that weight and um i always go back to the book band that happened in my school district i was a wheel horse i was just quiet and just kept pulling the wagon hoping for a good end and that's land he he's reliable he can always be depended upon and he just keeps pushing no matter what the circumstances and regardless of how he feels about her and vice versa there's a job to be done and i'm going to do it in the quietest and most effective way that i can and that just makes him a very compelling character yeah i agree and that bathtub scene he shares with moraine is the sexiest bath i've ever seen <laughs> yeah anyone else with some thoughts on land I really appreciated seeing the deep friendship that they had um, because you don't often see a relationship that's non-sexual in any sort of way or non-romantic in any sort of way. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I loved that. And you can tell that they trust each other. They uh, rely on each other. um, They depend on each other. And, but there's nothing inherently romantic about that. Um, So that was great. And Daniel Henney is, is fantastic. I thought he he portrayed Lan really well. Yeah, because he has um on one hand he has the the calm strength that Patricia mentioned, but on the other he does have a depth of emotion that I really appreciated, which yeah. doesn't mm-hmm. make him seem. I felt like in the books the Lan in particular felt a bit like uh, not necessarily wooden, but he just didn't really sh- really show he, that much he felt emotion. That for me, in the books, he felt really one-dimensional. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. And he gets a lot more depth to his character, I think, in the show. Mm-hmm. I have to agree with that. I, I think he comes across as quite stoic in the books um, and nothing really else, which frustrated me a little bit. 
But then with Daniel Henney hopping into the show, you know, we're seeing so many layers and dimensions to that now. And that, that's a positive change. Um, I always thought if you're going to introduce the more grown-up characters, they need to be a little more engaging for the audience. And they've done a terrific job with both of them, really. And it kind of came across like Lan and Moiraine. Um, with Moiraine being such a, a narrative focal point, Lan helped carry a lot of the weight for her and they shared a lot of the um a lot of the narrative uh let's say complexity that was added to the show that wasn't present in the books was given to Moiraine and Lan and broadening their characters and rounding them out and making them feel much more engaging and more worth investing in so Fenderson, do you have any uh, any extra comments oh, on Lan? I mean, I think I agree with everyone here. I think uh, um, Lan's character, uh, well, first of all, starting with the diversity, I've, I've written a blog a while back when I first heard of the show, and I said, Wheel of Time has a chance to be the most diverse show on television. I specifically spoke of Lan, who is a character who's described as somewhere as blue eyes, but he wears all Asian outfits and <laughs> everything. And, he, he people wear the bindi on their foreheads. So I said, you, you can you can take this a little further. Robert Jordan wanted you to. And so I was happy to see Daniel Haney cast in this role. I was happy that they went far beyond my thoughts of what they were going to do with diversity on this show. So I'll say that from the first thing. And so, yeah, this land, talk about a change from the books that was definitely a change for the better. Um, this land completely, uh, completely outshines the land in the books. The land in the books, especially, especially as folks for those for that first book and maybe the first two books or three, I'll call them stoic wooden. Land was a bit of a prick. He was, that's <laughs> what he was. It's like, you call me sheep herder one more time, my dude. Call me sheep herder one more time. It's like he, that was his thing. He was just gruff. He, he was, he doesn't become approachable to like Rand until like I think a little bit of book two when he starts getting a little training. But yeah, he's, he's just a completely different character. And so this character having emotion, getting to show us what that bond is between Waters and Aes Sedai. The whole episode where he shows emotion of the land in the books would never have shown uh, with the death of a warden. Like, that would never have happened with the land in the books. And so I think that was just, I think all of that was just a positive. Those were the changes where if fans were upset, like, deal with it. That, those, are, <laughs> those are the changes. I think there are changes that are great when they enhance the this larger story of the books because the exactly. land that you see a little, a lot later, as he gets more involved in Nynaeve, is changed, is less wooden. And I guess they're trying to say that Nynaeve did that or what have you, but I don't know if that's the point. And so I'm glad that they got there now. We didn't have to wait, you know, season after mm -hmm. season before the land starts defrosting from carbonite that he's stuck in <laughs> for like the first few bucks. I mean, and, and he still has deadly, right? I guess that's it. the thing. He's, he's still as deadly. He's still... He, he can still do that. I mean, there were a few times, though, like the one time, like, um, I think Rand pulled out on land. I was like, you know, dude, like, step <laughs> what back, you doing? step <laughs> off, boy. Yeah. Like, like I would say the book land, like, yeah, you would have lost your hand, my dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, so you're lucky that this land is a little is a little less, you know, a little less brolic about it. So, but no, I, I liked him overall. Yeah. One hundred percent agree. Land, I think for me personally, was my favorite character of the season uh but let's jump into 
the Emmons Field Five. So we have Rand, who was portrayed by Jossa Stradowski, Egwene, who was uh, portrayed by Madeline Madden, and Nynaeve, who was portrayed by Zoe Robbins, Matt, Barney Harris, and Perrin, portrayed by Marcus Rutherford. So uh, what were your first impressions of the Emmons Field Five, and how did you feel about their overall um, character portrayals? So if anyone wants to jump in there. Nynaeve and Egwene. They pretty yes. much are the standout from Emmons Absolutely. And in the books, and there, there's a way that they also stand out. Um, but certainly here, they, they certainly shine above the rest in the way their characters are developed. Um, in the way, uh, I love that Nynaeve doesn't have to do the waiting and like, will Lan talk to me or not? <laughs> get, get out for it. <laughs> and the braid, <laughs> you know, it's, the braid thing I mentioned earlier, it's just like, stop playing with your braid. It's, it's Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, just, they just, they just enhance their character, the escape from the trolley, adding all of that in with the escape from the trolley. By the way, us getting to see that battle, by the way, because in the books, you just, you just hear about it. You they decide the to show instead of yeah. telling in the show. So that's great. Um, and so I, I, Egwene's character, Egwene's characters, well, there's some things I would like to see done a bit more with Egwene's character, but I thought, you know, it's still developed. I think those two were uh, still a bit more developed when it comes to the other three. Rand did what he has to do. I mean, he's Rand, Rand, the character in the first book is mostly like, is Tam my dad? Is he not? I don't know. I mean, because they kind of, they kind of hid that away from us because I remember they don't, I don't think they really point out that tam said that i went back and looked no, they never they, really have tam say like oh you're not my son in his they, fever dream they said it in in uh, episode seven and they kind of used it as episode a reveal seven to do yeah. it so but you in, don't have in, to see him like no. is he my dad is he my dad the whole time and so no. rand is just kind of there he, he's a bit more more forward than he is like the way he talks to moraine and things in the book and so he's you know he's rand i mean and my going in and knowing, well, he's Rand, right? Uh, I, I thought he did what he had to do, knowing that Rand's character really takes off to me, like book two, three, really by book four, he's a completely different person in the book. He's because of yeah. what he becomes. He's a completely different person in the books by book four. And so that's fine. Matt and Perrin. Uh, yeah, I was not, uh, I was, I was not feeling uh, dark Matt. I mean, dark Perrin. Uh, I wouldn't go into him being married. Okay, cool. Him killing his wife and then the reason he did that. And the, I don't know. It was his killing the wife felt like a little fridging because it felt like that was a great way to get him to later on feel dark and remorseful. I don't know. Um, and Matt's character was, I don't know. I don't know what to make of Matt's character. <laughs> he didn't even go through the way. So yeah. I have no idea what's going on with Matt's character. Um, I will say this is my last thing, so I can I don't want to take up too much time. But one thing I've noticed that was different, and I, I mean, I, I guess it just had to be, was that when I first read those books, I had no idea how old those characters were, the Edmonds Fielders. I assumed they were like fourteen or fifteen because they act like fourteen or fifteen. Me year too. Old, the way they yeah. interact, and it was going back much later. I was like, are they supposed to be nineteen? <laughs> I'm like, no way, <laughs> right? And I saw the show like had to up that. The show had to be like, yeah, you guys have sex. Yeah, Matt is not releasing badgers to go after girl. Yeah. <laughs> right? He's, he's on Beltine. He's stealing shit instead of being like a little prankster. He's the village prankster. Instead of being a prankster. Like, no, and he's so I understood desperate. they had to change that and I, I was fine with that. Like let's let's grow these guys up. 
but I still I still didn't know what they were doing with Matt. I'm not certain. I guess they know. Um, I still didn't I still didn't know that they were doing those two characters the most justice, and that's where I'll leave that. Yeah. Uh, anyone else want to jump in and uh, take off from where I, oh, Anderson was? I totally talking? agree. I think the girls were wonderful. Um, Nynaeve was fantastic, um, and her taking control of the whole relationship with Lan I thought was fantastic. And I think Egwene's just waiting for her moment to come through and i think it will come through i feel the boys sort of fell down where they should have been pinnacles to the story i I already told you how i feel about ran he is anakin vibes all over him and i just he even looks like hayden christensen so i'm just like we can't even talk to you right now um I thought Perrin was a lost moment. Um, the the wife killing thing I thought could have really been addressed in a different way. It's just kind of like a, eh, it happened. Oh, yeah. We don't even know her. It. She has no lines. Exactly. Yeah, I know. Anyway, it's, eh, eh, you know. And then Matt, <laughs> I, I'm waiting for Nat, Matt to become part of the Nazgul. I just, you know, what what are you doing, buddy? What what is? Are, are you dark? Or are you light? What are you? And what's sad about that is he had such a care for his sister. Yeah, he was a little thief. Yeah, he stole stuff. But yeah, he cared about his sister and he cared about the little kid. Eventually, when they stayed at those people's house and what happened, I they just don't go far enough to do him any kind of real justice. So I'm afraid the boys are falling down on the job here while the girls are carrying the weight. I think I- um. Oh, sorry, go on. Sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, I actually slightly disagree with you on Matt. Um, uh, because I, so I really enjoyed the changes to his backstory that they made. I thought that, that um, adding that kind of hint of darkness and the thievery really helped make his actions in uh, Shadar Lagoth make more sense. Like he's not just, he's not, he's not concerned with money and gold just for the sake of, you know, gambling. Like there's a reason for it. He comes from poverty and he wants to to care for his sisters. And I really personally really liked that. I also think that um, his character was uh, really affected by Barney Harris leaving halfway through the season. Like he yeah. didn't I don't think mm. that he came back to film season, um, episodes uh, seven and eight. No, um, he was he was because done. Of COVID. He was done by. So, episode six and so they had to edit yeah. him out so I, of those last two or they had to yeah, write so him I, out of so those I last two episodes that, and then and then edit I, him in i think the final. that that is probably why his storyline feels so uneven because like there was this really drastic change oh yeah um, don't get me wrong yeah. i missed the part with his sister stealing for your family and trying to take care of your family and doing wrong to protect yours i'm all for that i was looking for more but i was yeah. i had just heard rumblings about the actor not coming back so yeah that does make sense yeah so so i would have been interested to see what they would have done with his storyline in particular had barney harris stayed on for the entire season um and had they not had to had to work around that agreed ben you wanted to get in yeah i was i was going to add to the uh matt situation um I, i've read like a few interviews and um people like brandon sanderson for example who were given input um about the finale and how it was uh actually completely different at first because matt was meant to be there and you know i think it was five episodes and they realized they had to write matt out and it just completely derailed it. So, you, you know, there, there's a little bit of disbalance in the force right now in terms of that story. Uh, but I've got faith in the next few seasons that, you know, that they'll retcon everything a little bit. It's, it's their chance for them to really get a feel for the show, build momentum, 
and you know hopefully take on board you know any criticism we're given as well and hopefully you know we can have like a completely phenomenal show by the end of it um, that, that's what i'm holding out for yeah um, i agree yeah we'll, we'll, get, we'll, get, yeah. we'll get into uh, hosts yeah, later on but yeah what do you think what i just you want think to say real Perrin? oh go ahead sorry Fair. good sorry uh what did you think about uh rand and perrin then um so i think they intentionally downplayed rand a lot because we know that he's the chosen one us readers knew that he was going to be you know quite prominent if if you read the books you're like okay rand's the main guy we know that um whereas in the show yeah they, they have to downplay that because we've got so many new view- viewers coming on board the best mm-hmm. thing to grip them is that mystery of who is the dragon reborn and i i don't object to them changing and adding the girls into the um who could be the dragon either i, I thought that was actually quite a smart move with perrin he he's just sidelined and i really feel for him you know yeah. he didn't get elias um I feel like the wolf scenes could have been explained a little bit better. I really do. Uh, I, I still just get comical images about that wolf scene in my head. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think the actor Marcus, he's actually got really good range. I've seen him in some other stuff and he looks really promising from what he can do. So fingers crossed. We see more of that later on. Yeah. I agree about Perrin. He was underplayed and to the detriment of the show. Um, we'll get, we'll get into that, uh, later on. I think just... Perrin may have needed Elias. Yeah. I think somehow they had to squeeze Elias in there, uh, to get Perrin to the wolves somehow. Yeah. Um, because right now, yeah, he's kind of just twisting in the wind. Exactly. Um, I'll say with Matt, I, on my blog, I, I really was not a fan of dark Matt. <laughs> I, really, <laughs> I really was not a fan of like, they were like, well, we can't, we want to change, you know, Edmund's field. So it's not the Shire. And I was like, I, yeah. I get it. Uh, I I don't know if dark always needs, I don't know if our notion of making things more realistic means that it always has to be dark. That's just mm. my own personal it's just, uh, critique. It's just the grim dark so I didn't know if that was yeah. a need for that with, with Matt, like his dad's a philanderer. I was like, you know, and there are all these other issues. I said, I, I guess and that he's a thief. I was like, okay. I, but I was willing to go along with it because I think one thing I remembered is that in the books, Matt's character, and this may be Jordan himself, doesn't seem to come into who I think of Matt as, as the gambler, as Sarah was saying, you know, that person doesn't show up until like book three. Like for the first two books, it's him and that dagger and you don't know what he's, what's going on with him. So I have faith like Ben, I think, or I was like Sarah, that like they're going to, we're going to eventually get to the roguish Matt, you know, it's just that I don't know how much this darkness, <laughs> this dark Matt is going to fit into that. And I hope they have something planned because, you know, the Matt that we eventually, I think that a lot of people like, he's not exactly dark. He's a, he, he is a, a I have to use an old, he's a ne'er-do-well. He's a, he's a, he's a, you know, he's a scamp. He's the Huckleberry Finn <laughs> of the Robert Jordan world <laughs> in many ways. And I don't know that I wanted him dark, but I mean, you know, well, I don't have any choice. Nobody's giving me any money to make a thing. So, you know, I'll, I'll go along with it. And yeah. one last thing, I think, so somebody had mentioned this. I think Ben had mentioned this, and I think this is a big change from the books. And going back, because I read Eye of the World recently, I went back and read Eye of the World just before. Was that the, one of the biggest changes there? Is that when Moraine shows up to Edmund's field, she's basically like, "Hey, one of you might be the Dragon Reborn." Right in the books, she just tells him like, "Some Trollocs came here and tried to come after y'all. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. You she know, yeah. so you better come with me." And that's why they come, and so. She doesn't like say anything about the dragon being reborn or even Rand being the dragon reborn until the very end of the book. It's like literally the last sentence. Dragon yeah, yeah. 
will ride again, right? Even when the big thing is that ran channels, he doesn't even know then, like, oh, I must be at the Dragon Reborn, right? Exactly. That's not a thing. And so I'm sorry I'm, I'm going far ahead, but one of my criticisms there is that one of the things I never got from this series and going back to Rand was the absolute horror that people have of a man channel, right? Uh, and I thought we did a mm-hmm. great job with Loghain. I thought they were going to go into that. But people who hear a man channeling, there's a, there's a line in book two where Matt says, you know, that's like finding out that your best friend murdered baby, <laughs> right? <laughs> like a man channeling scent makes people like, it makes somebody that I throw up. Right. The the very idea because of the breaking, because of the horror of it all. Right. That a man just saying that a man can channel is enough to make people run for a hill. You show up and tell them, hey, one of you might also be the Dragon Reborn. People should start eating their hands. Like the Dragon (laughs) Reborn is considered the like being told you're the Antichrist. Yeah. And I thought that Edmund Fielders were like, oh, yeah, one of us might be that. That's kind of cool. And I was like, what? (laughs) No, this is a perfect jumping off point. Because uh, we'll we'll get into episode so that's, one. That was my. I thought that was a great big change. I wanted to see what they were going to do with it, but it was always a change that needled me. Yeah. And I don't know if that had to do something with the way the show ended and with the character drafts. Like deciding to tell people right off, that's who you. That's what I'm looking for. It's a big change, and I understand why maybe, but I don't know that they fit it all together. Yeah. Well, this actually this this is a perfect jumping off point. We're gonna dig into. Uh, more characters as they come up, but I think the best way to approach this show is to discuss both the the pacing and the plot uh, as the storylines uh, carry forward episode through episode. But the thing that you just mentioned about the the Dragon Reborn being mentioned, this is one of my biggest criticisms of episode one, and we'll get into it, which was the, um, I guess I'll call it like the dark side of of what you call economic world world building in the sense that they're trying to cram so much. And my biggest criticism with episode one is they crammed so, so much into one episode. I felt like it needed to be split in two. I felt like the season needed to be two episodes longer at least, but they just crammed so much in there. And the reasoning for the Emmons fielders to leave their home didn't feel justified to me because Moraine's just like, yeah, I want to use a dragon reborn. Let's go. And they're like, Oh, bye. It's like, don't even like hug your dad. Just wave to him. Cool. It, it just, it just fell so flat for me because, um, I know the beginning of the book, the eye of the world is notoriously slow, but they rushed it way too fast through this first episode. Um, so if anyone else wants to get in with their thoughts on, on, the beginning, sort of like Emmons Field and the Two Rivers, how that was portrayed, but also our introduction to those characters and then how they're thrust out into the world um, outside of the Two Rivers. Well, didn't they initially want to have a 10-episode um, season? Budgets, I think. Yeah. yeah. Something. So I think, I think that um, the show was really kind of underserved by cutting it down to eight episodes, even if it was for, for reasons of budget. Um, I think the story needed needed that extra breathing space. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Anyone else like first thoughts on on Emmons Field, Two Rivers, and how the the narrative is is uh um sort of blows up, I guess, with uh Winter's Night and all the crazy shit that happens with the Trollocs and the Fades. When you're introducing so many characters 
to a world that could be unfamiliar to the viewers. I almost think that a two episode pilot was necessary to mm-hmm. maybe yeah. flesh out the economic world building a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think the character development was there for some and could have been built up with others. Um, but yeah, having this done in just the episodes they have just did not pan out, particularly in the first episode. Because I, I felt the the connection between the Emmonsfield five, you know, this is what was such a shame to me with the, the three boys is that Rand, Perrin and Matt have a really good chemistry together. And that was presented in the first episode. You know, they care about their friend. They're willing to give him money, all that kind of stuff. They know about his situation. They, they empathize with him, but that friendship, that relationship that they have doesn't really flourish later on. And Not then, enough to carry them when they leave. Exactly, mm. exactly. And then Nynaeve and Egwene, on the other hand, I felt that connection between them two, between the two of them, that that there was that care and sort of big sister, little sister relationship that was better developed as the as the season went on. Um, I mean, you can definitely see that friendship when she pushes off the cliff straight away. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, breathe, boom. <laughs> Yeah, that was a really good moment. Also, just a quick aside, I want to comment. There was a there was a panning shot at the beginning of uh, passing over the landscape, and you see yeah. the the moss tree uh, plant covered uh, skyscrapers, which was a really cool, yeah. uh, a, very cool, a, a cool nod to what appears later on in the show. Um, Definitely, then, I yeah. I thought I was the only one who got that. I'm glad <laughs> I was like, everybody seeing that? Yeah. yeah. I think no, the it, fact that it was like frame, it was frame for frame. Oh, no. It was like it was perfectly matched to yeah. to episode eight. Yeah, mm. this is a fantasy, but it's also post-apocalypse. Exactly. And I think that that's something that you know, and it may even be if you listen to Jordan, may even be Earth, right? Uh, according to his little, I went back and I I listened to some of those things, and I was like, oh, those myths they're talking about, like uh, Lynn who rode to the moon and a on an eagle's egg. Oh, that's supposed to be a rocket ship in Glenn. And so it's like <laughs> these things that we could be looking at earth in some far, 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 far flung future where everything's gone medieval. Exactly. And then just yeah. the, the way that it went medieval, the look of it was very, very cool. Mm-hmm. I loved the, the set design of Emmons field was great. Um, just the feel of it. It didn't feel so, so typical fantasy. It had enough yeah. of a little bit of an extra flavor that made it stand out. And then you had the diversity of the, of the residents even if you want to explain it away, and I know some people could have a criticism and say, how is this tight-knit community so diverse in terms of the ethnicities? And it's like, who the fuck cares? It's good. <laughs> Enjoy it. Amen. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of world building, did anyone watch the uh, pieces of world building that they did? Um, they're like the yeah. animated versions. Yeah, because I feel it's kind of like the animatrix was to the matrix. It kind of helped, but I don't think. But like, did anybody watch it? Because it really did. It gave you background on the Ogier. It gave you background on the Breaking More. It gave you background on Minetherin. I thought that. uh, By the way, it's great that we got to hear the song, the Minetherin bit. Um, And so I think that helped with their world building. I don't know if there was a way they should have told people watch those. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, personally, for me. That stuff was really cool, but I felt like the the cold opening of the first episode felt very flat. Um, mm. It didn't really sell the threat of male channelers. 
Yeah. Um, and it also didn't really work as as that eye catching, grab you by the grab you by the neck kind of opening that pulls you in and says like this is what this world is about. And I feel like they should have done something with the history of the world, whether it be the 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 breaking to give that sort of mm. impact because I love the opening of mm. the first book. The the first book, even though it's um it's quite slow, the prologue is just like yeah shit gone Lose awry Baron. and it's so, so yeah. great. Dance. Yeah. And I feel like yeah. they could have sold the show much better with a better prologue. But yeah. I think that was that's was that episode, the infamous episode eight, the one thing I I, I love seeing at least the age of legends, right? Yeah. And yeah, I suppose there was a way they could have I think they were holding it in reserve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that that could have been the, that could have been the pull, the pull for people who mm-hmm. have never heard of this show, never heard of the world or anything like that. That could be the kind of moment where you're like looking at their dress and looking what happens and then just utter destruction and then you come down to this tranquil little village in the middle of the mountains. Yeah. And that's enough to yeah. be in the back of your mind the whole season thinking what happened there? How do we get to here? What's going to happen later on in the season? I feel like that's kind of a a good hook, but yeah, for me. I don't know. There's a story called By the Waters of Babylon, and I can't think of the author right now. And it's a very primitive society. And the young man, the protagonist, has to go on his spirit journey. And he's describing things, and you're not quite sure there's a familiarity about them, but the way it's described through his eyes, you don't get it. And then you realize that you're in New York after a post apocalyptic event. Cool. And that reveal just makes it you're just kind of, your mouth's hanging open you know that what you've been seeing is <laughs> the subway the um new york public library and the skyscraper where he comes in to this room with this man who's staring out the windows and might have seen the last moments of the world and just getting that cluing yeah. in at the end true does a little something it pricks the soul a little bit yeah, yeah i think I they think- did terry Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think I agree with, with Patty here in that, um, that reveal that, that there was some kind of apocalyptic um, event, uh, the breaking, and that society was so much more advanced. I think that hits a lot harder having gone through seven episodes in a medieval world. And you wouldn't have that impact if you got, if you, uh, got that information at the very beginning of the show. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, I think just from my perspective, I was just kind of uh, speculating on what could have been a better replacement for the cold opening. <laughs> it was it's just my problem with the cold opening of the first episode didn't land at all. It didn't sell male channelers. It didn't really sell the red Aja. Um, it was a bit lackluster for, for what this world could have offered in those first few minutes of, of seeing it on screen. It's, it's, it's strange when you look at it because we now have the impression that obviously the Red Aja are the villains of the series, or, or that's how they're trying to angle it now. Um, it'll be interesting to see if, like, with the show, they do kind of like sagas and introduce villains one after another, or if they just put them in like this big hot pot like they do in the books, where they just all show up at different times and cause a little bit of havoc. And, uh, like, okay, yeah, we're, we're dealing with this baddie now again, are we? Um, yeah. But I, I actually really liked the show. And the way that they represent like the whole sort of, there's almost this sort of relationship with nature that the people have, you know, that that kind of shows with Emmons Field and how they settled it. I really liked how that came across. But 
yeah, the whole post-apocalyptic kind of vibe, you, you do pick up on like small little things if you rewatch it. I've seen a few things come up now every now and then. Um, so they're, they're being quite subtle about it, I think, because they don't want to overwhelm all these new viewers. I mean, it, it must have been a huge mindfuck for them when, when you know, they, they got to that last episode and they saw, yeah. you know, um, right, yeah. the Age of Heroes. That, that's just <laughs> mental. Because, I mean, even in the books, I mean, when they said Age of Legends, I don't think I was thinking... I was thinking, well, magical legends, right? Yeah. I wasn't thinking, like, science. I mean, it took me a long time to realize, like, oh, 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 <laughs> like, okay. You guys were like, like, wow. Like, when you said you lost stuff, you, you really lost stuff. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I think that I, I, didn't, I didn't have too much of a way. I, I think I agree with Adrian's thing that the first cold open just, my biggest thing, and I'll go back to it, is what you said. They did not sell the fear that people should have of male channelers yeah. mm-hmm. or the absolute dread that anyone should have of being considered the Dragon Reborn. And I think that's, I think that, that's important because it's important for really the rest of the series, how people are going to react to someone being the Dragon. And I thought they were going to go there with Loghain while we're going, like, who I thought, I thought that was a great way to introduce notions of male channelers. I was hoping they would run with some of that a bit more after that episode, yeah. but I didn't see that. I, I didn't see that connection made though. I mean, I was happy that that whole fight scene with Loghain, that again, another instance where they decided to show us instead of just telling us like the books do, I thought uh, served a good purpose. Yeah. And I also agree. the opening was sort of like a cheap Conan <laughs> planet of the apes. Oh, those, what were they wearing? I don't even, you know, it's kind of like, I, I think I'm supposed to be afraid, but I'm not sure if I should be afraid, you know? So yeah, I agree. And shame they couldn't fit the statue of Liberty in there really. <laughs> yeah. I've been really? waiting for that line. I've been waiting for it. Say it. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't even fit the statue of, uh, of what's his name? Um, Arthur Hawkwing. They didn't even get that. Yeah. Steading. It's like, Oh man. no, no. Um, I wanted to, I think, I've always assumed this is supposed to be like, like we are like the ancient, ancient past. And yeah. so like the age of legends happens like long after us. So they should be in Dune time. Like thousands right? of years in the future. Man. Yeah, they're in foundation time, as far oh, as shit. I understand it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to quickly point out um Patton Fane was spot on uh in how he he just comes into into Edmund's field with that shit eating grin, and I loved it. It was perfect. And the way that he just kind of he manipulates Matt with his sly. His slide talk was was awesome, and then obviously we'll get into him later. Uh, how he comes back and um, how that shows the flip side of of his character. But Winter's Night, what did everyone think of the first introduction of Trollocs and the the devastation wrought upon upon the village? I really liked how we first see them. Like we're not. We're not sure what's happening when um, Egwene's dance partner just kind of stops and looks horrified. And then you you get that pan out to the Trollocs. I thought that was very effective. The Trollocs themselves, I have more mixed feelings about, but um, just the way they were introduced, I liked. The visual effects budget was... uh... Inconsistent, to say the least. <laughs> Did anyone feel like the Trollocs got less scary and less threatening as the episodes went on? That's yep. how I kind of felt. I felt um, the same. And it's, it's probably constraints with budget. We we know that. Uh, yeah, that that kind of uh, yeah, it, it disappointed me a little bit. And I, I again, I feel like if it was a two-parter, 
um, pilot, you would actually be able to tease the Trollocs in the first episode, not even have them like wreaking any havoc at that point. And then have the devastation yeah. in episode two. Yeah. And they, they just needed more cliffhangers like that, I think, to really hook people into the show. I think what made them less scary is there was less real contact. It's the boogeyman mm. that's chasing you versus the boogeyman that's like right there in your room. Yeah. Um, I think with fantasy and sci-fi, and when you come to whether you're reading it or you're watching it, there is an ask of suspending your belief. The reader, the viewer is asked, please suspend your belief in what could be real and come into my world. So I loved when the Trollocs came to the village because it was instantly bloody. It was instantly brutal and it was scary. And I think you lost the scary because now they're just in chase mode. The hounds are behind you. They're barking, but they're not right there at you. And it would have been nice to have a couple of scenes with land fighting, Moraine struggling to fight, the kids struggling to fight a little bit. And we didn't quite get enough of that. Um, you almost had the ferry boat being a deus ex machina kind of thing where, oh, they're suddenly safe. You know, it's, it's, like, that no, the, it's that, like that in the books, though. Well, yeah, no one likes getting wet in water. You know, it's just like, it oh, my a little scarier. Oh, no. I, I, I'm yeah. sorry. I, I know we're jumping ahead here, but that scene as well, where the guy's like, I've got to swim back, my son. I'm like, there's literally monsters over there. You can see them. Exactly. He's like, I've got to swim to them. I was like, you are swimming to your death. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, quickly, Fenderson. Um, if you wanna, if you wanna give your first impression of the Trollocs and and what Winter's <laughs> Night felt for you, <laughs> um, I don't, I don't know what everyone else has said about the Trollocs. What can I say? I mean, everyone, I think, who was watching this was waiting for the Trollocs. Your your a your show is only going to be as good as your baddies, right? Um, and so your fantasy is you, you need your resident mooks who you can kill without concern. Um, I, I was I was I was a little upset I didn't get to see Narg. Uh, everybody remember from the book Narg Smart, the talking trolley. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I understood. I was like, yeah, you can't get CGI for Narg. I guess okay. And so um, I was happy that we got to see the battle. As I said before, the battle of Bridge tonight, which we were just told before, that helped. I think Moraine and Land more than it helped the Trollocs. I was mixed on the Trollocs. Like there were times when I was like, oh wow, yeah, those are Trollocs. They're dressed a little differently than I thought. They kind of have this whole BDSM thing. <laughs> let's let's not get started on the BDSM stuff in the show. I thought they were gonna have like chainmail and stuff. Yeah. But okay. Um, you know, they had hooves and I, I keep trying to keep in mind, look, they don't they don't have Peter Jackson money for this. <laughs> right? They've got what they have. And so I was I was willing to look, you you this isn't Game of Thrones where you can save up all your money for the dragons. Like got a lot of magic here. And you got a lot of creatures. And so I was like so I I was accepting of the Trollocs for the most part. There were some times they looked a little cheesy and too CGI-ish. And there were other times they looked okay. And I just accepted them for kind of what they were. Um uh, have we talked about the phase yet, the mid-roll? No, let's get no. into the phase. But quickly, I just want to say, you just mentioned the budget thing. I think that's why they didn't include the Drakkar, which yeah. were very cool yeah. in the books. It was like these kind of dragon-ish creatures. Um, like vampire. Yeah, yeah they're yeah. coming later. Yeah, yeah. but th- those for me, that was like a cool threat while they were being being yeah. chased because they actually swooped down and it yeah. felt like an antidote to what you were saying, Patty, about them being chased by this threat that didn't really feel threatening uh, but yeah though they cut so much of the chase yeah. because they cut so many places they went we never really got to see them like i don't know their chase was their chase was short like 
They're a shadow logo. It, it was a couple. But it was a couple of minutes. It's a long time for them to get there. It was yeah. a couple of minutes There's for them to get to Terran Ferry, and in the books, it was chapters yeah. and chapters. But let's yeah, let's get to the fades, and then let's get to that moment at Terran Ferry. I thought, by the way, we got to see more the horrors of the Trolloc with Nynaeve scene. Yep. I thought maybe mm. than that that created scene with Nynaeve, where there's a where they're like the Trollocs will eat each other. Yeah, that's, exactly, that's right. Or like the fact that point out the fact that Trollocs eat people, they're gonna put you in your cook pot. Like I, I won't say sorry. Going back to the scene at Winter Night, I thought it was I thought there was a way that it was shot well when Matt goes back out, where it's almost the cameras following them, it and it reminded me Children of the Game of Thrones episode where the dragon was attacking, yeah. and it's just this shaky camera, and you're trying to just seeing like it's horror, like it's going on everywhere. That that um, that camera really felt quick, like Children of Men to me as well. Yeah, yeah, really yeah, visceral, like, just, like that. Yeah, I like that. Like you don't know like anything's going on in the corner, and you're just like luck if you're not like snatched. Like the way Nynaeve <laughs> is just snatched exactly. right um the the, the midrawl it's like look the eyeless the the look of the eyeless is fear um i'll have to say this i i i at times i didn't mind the midrawl i mean i would had to get used to the shrieking thing because i was like and that's where in the books fades they talk a lot of shit mm-hmm. <laughs> like before they kill you they like, like i'm gonna kill you you know and i'm gonna walk slow and do it because you're frozen with fear and i'm i'm gonna do this and that and this one they just kind of shriek um, and they have all those teeth. And I thought there was a little too much Lord of the Rings Nazgul going on there uh, with the fades. And I, I, I would have liked to see the regular fade who looks like a person, except, you know, they have no eyes and they're just really fearful. And so, and the black chain mail happened to like the, and so I, I thought like, I don't know, I was like, y'all spent a lot of probably CGI money to do that mouth and all the teeth. And they didn't frighten me to say the way that I thought a Fade should. Though, the one scene where the Fade fights Tom, I thought, yeah. that's a Fade. That, yeah, that Catching the dagger out of the air, the way he, like, you kick him back, he just slides forward. I was like, yeah, I would love to see a bit more of that, um, rather than the shrieky guy. I agree. Uh, <laughs> all the time. So... I'm I'm mixed feelings on the baddies. I'm like letting it be what it is because I realize, you know, again, budgets though, I I wouldn't have chosen shrieking over a good dude who talks a lot of shit. And you would have say you would have saved money. You could have you could have used that money to make Loyal's air twitch or fix his hair. <laughs> I'm just saying for budget. I'm just trying to budget here for them. I'm just trying to like show them where they could save some money and put it somewhere else. That's all. Yeah. I feel like they could have like done that a that lot that. in this show. Yeah. Ben? Oh, um, I was just going to say that they could definitely do like almost like a Pan's Labyrinth kind of thing with the face. They can just look quite creepy, still quite humanoid. Um, yeah. Casting probably cheaper as well, like you said. Easily done. Uh, can I also just say how bang on yeah, point because the, music the moment has been um, most this entire season. Yeah, and you know, for, for Winter's Night, I thought it was absolutely perfect. Yeah, I mean the the music has added to the tension throughout the whole thing. Uh, the scene at Terran Ferry was amplified by that, but I just it all kind of fell flat for me when when that stupid ferryman just decided to jump back in the water and try and save us it's like like ben you said there's fucking trollocs across there just growling it doesn't matter your son's dead like i understand it it definitely missed out on plot logic (laughs) and then it's just like there's a whirlpool there's a whirlpool dude yeah enough (laughs) i mean i can kind of understand it though because at this point haven't the people 
in that area, like they don't have a lot of experience with Trollocs. Trollocs are just kind of this nightmare thing that they hear about in scary stories, but they don't think they really exist. So yeah, you can see that there are these monsters and you can be told that they're Trollocs, but I don't think the ferryman actually believed that. So he was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go over it. They're not going to kill me. You know, maybe they'll beat me up a little bit, but it'll be fine. I just maybe. have to go oh. save my son. Maybe I'm just my hallucinating my grief. says no to that. No, <laughs> exactly. no. I mean, I don't think it's really a smart decision, but I can understand it. Mm. <laughs> I, I think the Fade were scary just for scary sake. You know, being a D&D player, when you say mind flare, everybody gets real quiet at the table. Real quiet. And I, I think that's what the Fade should be. And the Shriek thing... I'm okay with it if it's to control the Trollocs, but if you really want to make them scary, they need to communicate in some way, whether it's telepathically or some quiet voice. I mean, even the Nazgul can speak, you know, um, Shire or whatever, those sorts of things that they would say. That was one of the scariest things from Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I I sort of think they they missed their cue on that one too to make them very, very frightening. Because again, there are certain creatures in the Dungeons and Dragons world that no matter when you started playing, if you say that, they're going to get real beholder (laughs) running, (laughs) one of those kinds of things. And I didn't get that feel when the, the fade came on, I'm like, you look scary, but I'm not sure if I should really be afraid of you yet. Exactly. Because for me personally, the, the fade lack of communication, lack of, of, of that aspect didn't really give me the sense that this is a, just a very powerful sentient creature mm-hmm. as opposed to just something that screeches. It didn't you know? translate that they were controlling exactly. the Trollocs, you know, and, and that would have elevated them. They just appear to be like another minion. Whereas, yeah. you know, moving on to Shadar Logoth, that to me felt more threatening than, than, the, uh, than the fades because yeah. the city itself felt, I mean, while there were some, some uh, cheesy effects in the Shadar Logoth scene, the city itself felt just heavy and, 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 epic. And, yeah, epic. but also creepy. There's just this like creepy yeah. factor to the, the emptiness of it. The series was successful there where the last three Star Wars movies failed. For me, the Millennium Falcon is a character. C-3PO, R2-D2, Chewbacca, all characters. They all became furniture in the sequel. And here you have this city that is itself a character, um, just haunted and atmospheric. And you just have the feeling they had more fear and medicine than the Trollocs did. And nothing really epic, epic happened that the city did. You just had the feeling... I don't want to be here with y'all and you need to pack your shit and you need to leave now. Um, (laughs) And they didn't, you know, I always giggle in the horror movies, you know, the black people die first, you know, and I'm like, I'm getting in the car now and leaving before the demons come and get you. I'll be at the hotel. Yeah. Call me, and I'll decide yeah, I'm coming to get you. Exactly. And that was the well, feeling the I had. On the fucking street. <laughs> run, sweet Heron, run. Please. Yeah, I'm, already, I'm, I'm out of there. Please. I'm at home with ass. I don't know what you're doing. Yeah, but, you know, I, I like the way Shadow Logoth looked, and I didn't mind it. Talking about things that were missing. There's no Mortis. Um, I think, yeah, I think, I think trying to explain evil Tom Bombadil would have just been too much. <laughs> so I got like, cut, cut him out. 
Let's not go into all that. And yet, I think we're going to have to revisit it somewhere. Yes. At the end, is that where Matt is? And is Pat and Fane holding a Ruby Hilda dagger? Are we missing something? I, I, thought, I thought Matt was back at Tarvalon. I think not he was at Tarvalon. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he was at Tarvalon. Yeah. Then did did Pat and Fane have the dagger with them? I know. No, there's no there's no distinct uh, moment because he, he has a Ruby Hilda dagger I, I did, that he's holding to their, ne- yeah, their neck. Yeah, I, I did yeah. think that he had the dagger. But it doesn't show how he got it. How'd it happen? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> had they had I mean, a dagger like that, or had the dagger? I wasn't sure. Perhaps we'll because I was like, maybe that's the only way that he can go around holding loyal. Like it's it's the thing, yeah. right? If you got that dagger, you can do a whole lot. <laughs> you know, you I'm, I'm like not gonna. You got the dagger with you, and so I don't know. That's a question, but I'm figuring. I know Shadow Logarth has to come back later on in the book, so it's it's a it is an own char- its own character. It's going to be there again. And so I'm hoping they really revisit things more in um, Mashadar. We got a little bit, they got a little bit, of, little bit of stuff there, but, you know, did that horse in. Uh, now in the books, it's interesting because in the books, it's a long scene and there are Trollocs there. And remember they have those like hoops that they're about to put over people's necks and snatch them down yeah. and all that they got rid of. So we got to see Shadow Logoth a, a little bit. And I thought that was, that was deep. That was good. Yeah. But the, the, the escape was a bit cheesy for me just with that, yeah. that black, I don't even know what it was like goo kind of thing. Just chasing after everybody. It's like, yeah, okay. But it was. Mashadar. Yeah. Mashadar did not. Mashadar on the black wind were a little. Eh. Yeah. <laughs> I was expecting like a lost meat monster or something like that. but <laughs> Yeah. The sentient evil blobs both got a little yeah. Stop a little, uh, <laughs> evil amoeba. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, evil. Are we, are we, have we talked about Mashin Shin? No, we have we'll get, we'll, about the we'll get to it. But now that we have all the characters on their different uh, plot lines, we can talk about Matt and Rand as Matt is succumbing to the corruption of the dagger. And also just like tons and tons of things that were cut from their storyline. I'm thinking White Bridge yeah. was completely cut and replaced with this little village. Um, which worked in some ways. Mining village. Yeah, just like a little yeah. mining village. Uh, and then um, their whole purpose was to get to Camelin, but Camelin was yeah. replaced with Tarvalon. Barillon is gone. Yeah, yeah. Barillon's yeah. gone. So, um, what did it, no meeting Elaine and uh, and Gawain exactly. and all at the that, end yeah. at the end and everything in in Barillon, there was none of that. So, what did everyone think about these cuts? And then we'll focus on Matt and Rand. Min is Min is Min for some reason is hanging out at, at the border. Yeah, like, you have all the places <laughs> I'm going to find Min Farsha. I'm just not figuring. It's like a few miles from the black. Exactly, just, just Min. Exactly. <laughs> but I get you got to put her in somewhere. Uh, <laughs> that's not that's not a Min Farsha hangout. Like I'm going to go hang out at the borderlands. Exactly, because really? <laughs> the people look. Where there are trollic raids yeah, every day. Because the because she's an Asian <laughs> actress. Why not? The people up in Faldara are more. Asian. Yeah, I guess so. They put her all the asian people are exactly. yeah, that was, that's what i was thinking they did i was like please tell me you didn't try that one. I knew that. <laughs> but uh what did everyone think about rand and matt's uh storyline and matt's corruption and all that kind of stuff i thought they had some really good like one-liners i liked that <laughs> um <laughs> matt and his corruption storyline i just don't it it frustrates me so much um this is a problem with the book, less so with the show because it is over a lot faster. Um, but I actually tried reading the books like a decade ago 
and I stopped because of Matt. I was so frustrated with him that I just put the books down and I couldn't, I couldn't he's pick them up. Such a yeah, like yeah. he's just—he's a jerk. He's mean. You don't want to read about that. Means very, yeah. yeah. Um, so I. But that's that's the dark. Didn't really that's, enjoy that. That's his power. Yeah. Just makes you a dick. <laughs> but I've often wondered if Jordan didn't have Matt down. Kind of like yeah. how, like, if you watch, like, the first Star Treks, like, they didn't have Riker or Worf down, and it wasn't until they, or they didn't have Benjamin Sisko down, but then he got the, he got the goatee, and you're like, ah, that's Ben Sisko in Deep Space Nine. <laughs> it felt like Matt was, it felt like Matt yeah. was not fully down. So I hear what you're saying, Sarah, like, in the books, he's just, like, creepy with that. He's just yeah. a creepy guy. Yeah, no, I, uh, he's, I, com- he's creepy. I completely agree with you that I don't think Jordan really yeah. knew what he was doing with Matt until later on yeah. in the series. Jordan and then you get the Matt. With a lot of things. Yeah. Matt's, Matt is a completely different person, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, for that reason, you know, the, the Matt and Rand plot line I f- was less interested in just because it's a, I find less interest in it in general. Yeah. What about, uh, what about the introduction of Tom Marilyn and uh, Dark Friends? The concept of dark friends. Do you mean I like Daddy the Tom dark Mara. friends? <laughs> <laughs> his his singing sounds like Bruce Springsteen. I was like, that's actually not that bad. Yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> We're, uh, anybody notice he he lacked a lot of whiskers? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We also got Dark Tom, which again, it seemed like it's like the default of this show yeah. is like, let's just add some dark. <laughs> Throw a fucking dagger through right? her throat. It's like oh. let's just add some dark. <laughs> Yeah. And I was like, and I don't know, it's just like you can make things a bit more complex without yes. doing that. Yeah. Yes. Every single person yeah. is yeah, dark. And yeah. Like, that's dark. I was like, well, who isn't dark? Yeah. <laughs> but everyone, everyone's a little dark, right? And so I didn't I didn't mind this character. I didn't mind their relationship. I mean, in the books, they're on the road for a long time. For the begin from yeah. the beginning. And I realized Tom is there from the back. They cut a lot of Tom teaching them how to I mean a lot I get that a lot of it has to be cut because the book was a bit more YA than this show is and so you know him them being on the road they kind of like they did what they had to do to to be on the road and get caught up Uh, and it was a typical fantasy thing okay you guys are alone let's wait for you to get back with everyone and then things will pan out and you know it was was interesting seeing the dark friend um I, i gotta say and i said this in my in my blog uh so far like uh the dark friends are all black <laughs> they are dark indeed and the uh yeah and the and the and the two most evilest characters are all uh very dark skinned and so i was yeah. like yeah i know you're doing you guys are good at doing the diversity but your children of the light guy is dark skin pat and fane and they're like the two really really worst mm-hmm. uh characters that we've met and i know you guys are doing diversity and it's great that you are but you know, diversity is a thing where you need to hire someone. So they like, let me explain colorism to you. And so I can, we can make sure you don't fall down some of these pitfalls. And so I saw it. People I know who never see, know nothing about the show, they did the squinty eye. Like, yeah, why are the two most evilest characters really worse? <laughs> yeah. It's human characters I've met so far. And so, <sighs> you know, I'm hoping that somebody like, Pull them to the sides and we have to do some. And then the other dark friend was a mixed race black woman and put a shot through the throat. So I think I think it was That was my that's my quibble. I think that I think that uh build up towards that was not entirely successful, but interesting and and the way that she came off so innocent. Obviously she wants to get mm-hmm. out of town. How's she yeah. gonna get out of town? The dark one's gonna sponsor her. Yeah. And <laughs> the way that that all developed her her character came across in an interesting way. And then it revealed a couple small tidbits about um, 
Rand in terms of the fact that he could knock down this door that three men couldn't knock down. Um, but I felt Matt's uh, Matt's development wasn't very interesting. He just, you know, kind of came across as a moody little shit. And I'm not going to chop wood. Like, do it your fucking self, Rand. Uh. <sighs> And He's yeah, I, I did enjoy. Um, it I, I enjoyed Tom giving like Matt that humble pie moment with the IEL. Yeah, like, but if you but, steal from him, you bet. But it. Tom, Tom would never would never steal though. Yeah, that's like that's not that doesn't feel like Tom to me. He felt like he felt like some uh, I don't know, like some Pennsylvania coal miner jamming away. <laughs> he was just, not very. He was not a very gleeful gleeman. No, that's what all, I got. Man. Tom was much more. Joking he needed that patchwork cloak on the Where's outside. The yeah, it was on the inside. It was like. On the in-stitching, but you want to see on the outside, don't you? Cover it up with something gray and dark. Yeah. But that then was a lost opportunity for Tom to mm. do some character developing for Matt, and it yeah. just didn't happen. You know, and as far as the, the dark friends, they were about as underdeveloped as the whole channeling men thing. Just wasn't the enough menace, time spent the with them, them or to give that menace of what they were. Yeah, I agree. The only good thing I thought they did with the dark friends was... I suppose for the first time, the dark friends had reasoning. Like she had this emotional reason, like the mm. wheel needs to stop. Yeah. And that's something like, I want the, the wheel to stop because we're just living terribly. Right. Yep. And it was like, if the wheel is stopped, I thought that was interesting. And then Pat and Fane gave that whole Jedi speech at the end. I suppose that's interesting. His, his, I don't like his villain Jedi monologue. Rage. He needed his villain yeah. monologue. Of course. We, we need the dark. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Uh, and what did everyone think about? We'll get to Moraine and 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 Lan, and then how Nynaeve converges into their into their storyline. What did everyone think about that? Um, actually, just a, a quick aside, uh, Patty, you mentioned earlier the vulnerability of Moraine, and I thought that was a good foil for uh, Nynaeve to display her abilities, but also to develop a, a bit more trust between her and Lan. Oh, most definitely. And also for Naive to come into her destiny, which is much bigger than what she thinks it is. Um, The fact that um, she had tracked them and she talks about how she tracked them. I thought that was so, so super cool. But I'm still not sure about the whole interplay with the warders and what that's supposed to mean because some of the other Aes Sedai use their warders as boy toys and I don't (laughs) see that with Moraine necessarily. And I'm just kind of like confused and and, and watching, but I I love naive and I just rewatched the scene. One of the best scenes, the only hopeful part of episode eight was when my knave was talking about going to the tower, becoming an Aes Sedai And Lan was saying, I will hate the man you choose, but I will love him if he makes you smile. I'm a hopeless romantic. I don't show (laughs) it. I like blowing up X-Wings and A-Wings. I'm a TIE fighter pilot. But that was a I thought you were a Sith princess. Don't don't pull that shit. I am a Sith princess. That's right. With my TIE fighter. Careful. (laughs) Don't correct me. (laughs) No. But I just thought that was the most wonderful moment of episode. I can watch that over and over again. We just don't watch the Rand part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the build up, the build up of their romance was was good because it was just small little tidbits throughout, and it was sprinkled and paced in a in a great way. And how um, she brought him back. Yeah, they yeah. have build up in the show. Yeah, as opposed yeah. to the books. Yep, where it's just it just kind of happens out of the blue. Yeah. 
but the the like i agree with you patty the whole thing about the warders and what exactly their relationship is with their particular Aes Sedai is a bit mixed and and not really communicated super well it's like some of them are just like haha give you a cheeky look because i'm gonna go fuck my warders and others is just like no this is my my best friend and and no touching and all that kind of stuff is a bit <laughs> don't go to the no no place yeah but i do think that the the introduction of that i said i camp where they do have Logain uh imprisoned was very engaging and i liked the interplay between the warders i like the interplay between the Aes Sedai because some of them have developed relationships over decades and others are a bit more antagonistic steppen's loss is palpable yes. it is just steppen was great um but what did everyone think about about that whole thing the the Aes Sedai, the warders Logain, and how all that played out so i i'm actually I, I was really yearning for the same sort of politics game playing you get with the Aes Sedai as you do in the books. And I, I feel like to an extent we really got that. Um, and it, it feels like they all have different motivations. We, we still don't quite know a lot of the characters on the show and what their goals are. Um, I was quite happy that they also shined a lot of light on the waters. I, I feel like it would have been a bit of a shame if we didn't really understand the bond as much or what the wardens actually did, you know, if the wardens were just there to swing swords and that's it, you know, I, I feel like they do a fair bit more. They're actually a major support for the Aes Sedai in this. Um, and Leandrin in that camp as well, I uh, seen with Nynaeve, and she was like, hi, are you Nynaeve? Is it pronounced that way? I was just like, oh, I, I just love this villain. I think she's going to be great. The, the uh, casting for the Red Aja, they went hard with people who had very, very sharp features and angular jaws and just very um just in the way that they the actors themselves look it's just like you picked some people with very impression (laughs) very uh impressionistic faces and facial features just to give off that that vibe of yeah red aja look for men they fucking uh kill the or not they they don't kill them they what's the word that they um Gentle. gentle them exactly so it's like these people who gentle do not look very gentle and I thought that was a yeah. nice, a nice choice in terms of how they how they cast the Red Aja. But we mentioned earlier, I think the costuming was a bit uh, ridiculous. Um, <laughs> they definitely do uh, like I said, power, like Ranger power Rangers, different colors yeah, of green. Yeah, <laughs> they are not the most fashionable of the Aes Sedai. Suddenly, no. I tell you that much. No, well, one of my friends, they um, they have a podcast where they talk about the Wheel of Time, and there was that scene where they stumble across the White Cloaks, and um. They're like, are you an Aes Sedai to Moraine, who's literally all in blue? It's just like, well, no, obviously not, duh. <laughs> just pulled a blind eye on them. It's, it's just, in what world can you tell that she's not an Aes Sedai? <laughs> it's like, blue brings out my eyes. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess if you've gotten rid of the ageless face, maybe I suppose that works. Because yeah. right? mm. supposedly you're supposed to be able to tell them immediately. Exactly. I mean, I like that episode for a lot of reasons. I like seeing the taint as two evil things talking in Loghain's yeah. ears. Yeah. I, I love the, the way they did his character. Like the devil the was, devil and the angel on Homer Simpson's shoulders. Yeah, I love that they both were like <laughs> angel and Homer Simpson. Yeah, they were both like, I, I thought that was a great way to emphasize it. Um, yeah. I thought, you know, it was a great way to show the politics that got us to really 
see who Aes Sedai were. And the, and I do agree, they didn't fully flesh out what greens are. They gave little hints, but those more hints for people who've read the books. And then you'd get like, oh yeah, it's the greens, like doing wink and nods to their uh, uh, warders. I like that they queered that some, like where the uh, some of the warders themselves uh, are into each other. <laughs> and so that was all great. And later on, we even see that there are Women Warders, which is yep. going to be interesting because, you know, Brigitte Silverbow is coming. Who, by the way, we got to see another, that little girl's doll. If anybody caught that one. Uh, and so that's going to be, in, I'm, I'm going ahead, but that's going to be interesting. Uh, but no, I, I like that we got to see the Aes Sedai fight. Uh, sometimes it looked a little cheesy, I gotta admit. <laughs> but sometimes it looked it looked a little cool. They sure, they waved their arms along, around a lot. Yeah. Um, so I guess they just didn't want to show people channeling and you couldn't see it. And so they have people, you know, they have to. Sh- I get that. They have to show them doing a lot of martial arts stuff, doing a lot of Tai Chi with their arms uh, in order to get stuff done. There, there were some little things in the show where, you know, for, I suppose, a book reader, I squinted. Um, I thought, like, the part where Moraine comes and sees Loghain and she needs to know if he's the dragon. Yeah. And I'm like, well, he hasn't fulfilled a whole lot of prophecies that you know about, Moraine. Has, <laughs> has, has a certain place fallen? Has, has this happened? Why would you think this guy was? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, and so there were like little things that just weren't true to like how things should go. And I was like, and if you guys are letting go of prophecy here, well, the entire series runs on prophecy. Exactly. So that's like impossible. I, I felt that that. And, so, and there was another thing where, uh, where we finally see Nynaeve, right? And in the books, like when she first does herself, it's a lot less dramatic. This one, they make it super dramatic, and she has all this light, and Loghain sees it. And how does Loghain see her? Like, are we just going that everybody sees auras now? Like, everybody can see the the Sidene and Sidar being wielded now, yeah, so that Loghain, because he's like a bright light. Like, I, I'm sorry, you can see, <laughs> you can see what women can do now. Maybe they've gotten rid of that, and that's fine. I just. I just wish they would have gotten that to us. Um, and that's another thing. I never think they fully explain sometimes. Because somebody was watching with me, they're like, can everybody else see those little things happening? I said, they wish they would just let us know that. Yeah. No, everyone can't see the weaves happening. Uh, yeah, because Only people who can channel can see that. that that's, that's one of and my... So maybe they decide to get rid of the gender binary. And I just wanted, wanted them to tell us. Yeah, but that, that's one of my major criticisms with the show. It's like, yeah, Loghain, uh was, I think, done done really, not really well, but fairly well and his power was portrayed mm. in a very um with the taint cool manner yeah with the taint taints back and uh the the way that the way that all of these different Aes Sedai are trying to like struggle with his power was well represented but there are just so many things about the magic system um mm-hmm. about the the Aes Sedai and their and their um they're sort of in groups and and all this different kind of stuff. They're clicks, if you want to call them that. Uh, some of that stuff is just not conveyed well, and um, I I could understand from the perspective of someone who's never read the books that they would just be left at the end of the season feeling confused about a lot of things. Mm. Uh, just how does the magic system work? Like you say, how do you, can you see the little the little sparkly magic and all this different kind of stuff? Like, what do the colors mean? Because it's not it's not immediately and effectively conveyed what these different colors are and that there are these different groups of Aja and each one has a specific uh, purpose in the sense of uh, politics or healing or what have you. Um, some of that is cleared up in, in Tarvalon, but um, yeah. it, wasn't, it wasn't effectively portrayed from my perspective. 
but the warders on the other hand i feel like were uh broadened in um in our understanding and these little details that that made me appreciate them much more uh especially with with Stepin and his relationship with uh Lan and how that all played out um we'll get into uh Perrin and Egwene, which is, I feel, the most egregious storyline throughout the whole series. Uh, Sarah, do you want to do you want to jump in and, and give us your opinions on Perrin and Egwene and the Tinkers and and so many things that were glossed over from the books? I mean, I I definitely do think that that Perrin and Egwene suffered from uh, not enough screen time. They just don't get. Like their storyline just doesn't get as developed. Yeah. Um, I've seen a lot of criticism uh, on Twitter about the relationship between Perrin and Egwene and how the accusation that that Perrin has feelings for her kind of cheapens his relationship with um, his wife. And I disagree there a little bit. I think that um, that just because and the whole the whole show is kind of about this right just because someone says something doesn't mean that that's actually true like we see that with Ma- Maureen who believes things that but that that's not actually the case necessarily like she doesn't she doesn't have all of, all of the answers and i think that that's the same thing with um Nynaeve. she's seeing this relationship and because it's unusual or it's society views it as an unusual that a man and a woman can have a close friendship like she thinks that there's something romantic there and there's not necessarily um so i thought that was very believable um but didn't necessarily imply that that Perrin has the hots for Egwene and and wanted to kill his wife um yeah that that that's a bit of a stretch for me too <laughs> it's like even if you're married you can still have feelings for other people but yes. it's not going to drive you to to thrust an axe into your wife's stomach or anything like that, you know, <laughs> like that's a bit too much. Um, for me personally, the, the tinkers were, yeah, I mean, they were, they were kind of a gypsy hippie group and, you know, the costuming was, uh, was fairly good the way that the, they had their carriages and everything like that. But I just wasn't really sold on, on everything that they were, uh, that they were doing and how they were explaining the way of the leaf and and all this kind of stuff. And it felt a little ham fisted to have parents, you know, uh, murder of his wife and then his darkening mood, his brooding just being, uh, paired with the way of the leaf and violence is not the way. And it just, it didn't, it didn't work for me. It didn't sell it. It didn't feel like the tinkers were, were, um, convincing enough to convey their way of living to Perrin who did something really messed up, but then he didn't have what was absolutely necessary for me as a foil for his character, which is Elias in the books, who is the one who really helps him understand where his inherent, uh, violence and aggression comes from and how he's linked to wolves and, and all this, um, in uh, in all these different ways, but yeah, it just didn't really, it just didn't really sell me. And Egwene felt like she was along for the ride during this, this part of the show. Uh, she didn't really have much purpose other than interacting with the, uh, that young tinker who, Aaron. Yeah. 
Oh, poor Aaron. I don't want to give it away, but every time I see Aaron, I'm like, oh, Aaron, Aaron. Oh, Aaron. Yeah. That's all I got to say. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah knows I'm talking about it. Yeah. So, oh, Aaron. So for me, it, it just it, it just didn't really work. Perrin's uh, journey in understanding his relationships to wolves and the lack of Elias and then the Tinkerers were, it just felt forced to me that it's like, Perrin is the character struggling with violence. Let's put him with these people who are going to explain a way of nonviolence. And yeah. And then he buys it. He buys into it wholesale, which just was not believable at all. And I totally agree with Sarah, you know, as far as Perrin liking Egwene, um, and I don't want to call it settling, you know, for his wife, but that's what it may have been. That's real. That happens. Dante Alighieri wrote the Inferno for Beatrice, who was not his wife, okay, out of love for her. So that also gives a depth of character to him that I don't think they developed at all. And that tragedy that could have been there, always been there, as he sees the relationship between Egwene and Ran erode and all its high roads and low roads. Um, yeah, so I, I'm with you on that, Adrian, as well, with the Tinkerers, the Way of the Leaf. Cool, interesting, maybe not enough of it, but Perrin buying into it, nah, wasn't sold. Yeah. But the White Cloaks, on the other hand, yeah. Matt, uh, Ben or Fenderson, you want to get in on the White Cloaks? Fenderson, <laughs> you, um, you, you, you know, and Ben both have smiles on your faces. I want to hear what you got to say. So, I mean, I, I'm sorry, I have to go back to Perrin and like nothing about Perrin. And for, again, it's my bias. Like people are like, don't compare it to the books. I'm sorry, I can't compare it to an artichoke. You <laughs> <laughs> only do that with fantasy, right? People aren't like, oh, did you compare the Romeo and Juliet movie to that thing that guy Shakespeare wrote? Like that's foolish. <laughs> you know, like, the, the, know, the movie with Leonardo DiCaprio was a masterpiece. No. <laughs> right. Even if I understand that it that it changes. And so I, I look for like the changes like land. I thought the change to land was great. I thought those there were changes to Moraine and I mean I thought those enhanced the story. I thought it brought out a greater truth to the story of the largest truths Jordan was trying to tell. I did not see any of that with Perrin's character. I mean with yeah, Perrin's character. Perrin's character was changed and altered to such a degree that I didn't see it adding anything to the storyline. I didn't see it bringing anything out. Even the the little love triangle bit, like when they have the little blow up there in the Wetchika, I'm like, ah, oh, am I stuck in like some kind of Dawson's Creek? What is it? What's going on? <laughs> it did feel very <laughs> CW. Each other, and they're like, oh, I see what it is. I'm like, oh, stop it. Rand, stop. Rand is <laughs> Dawson and, and Perrin is <laughs> and <then they> <laughs> Then, it, then it's all good right after, you know, but they were just angry for a bit. I'm like, yeah. come on, guys. So I just didn't, I didn't buy that. I didn't, if they were going to go there with him being married and then him killing his wife, if the payoff was with the white clothes, that was supposed to be it. Like, well, then he shows that he gets his absolution. I was like, that, that's, that's hacky. That's like, that was, that was a poor, I did that just for that. And just to show him being dark and the way of belief. I don't know. And then he, he never is himself. He never feels like himself. Like, at the end, when because he's like you said, Patricia, he's kind of bought into it. He's like, "Oh, I guess I'll just let Pat and Fane take off of the horn of Valair. I was gonna throw something at the television set. Just gonna, you know, the entire book two is you guys hunting for that yeah. thing. And people are gonna be like, "Hey, Perrin, what were you doing when uh, Pat and Fane was here with the there. thing? Oh, you know, I was just standing there. His words caught me. I was like, "What? What are you doing?" And so I just, I don't know. Like the character they've created for him just does not fit anything that I understand how Perrin in any way 
should be. And it's throwing me off because I'm like, I don't know who this guy is. I guess you call him Perrin, but he doesn't, he doesn't feel anything like Perrin. And I don't, I don't know why they felt the need to do it because it hasn't helped the storyline. By the way, I've met no one, people who haven't read the books, people who have read the books who are like, yeah, that Perrin guy really connected with him. Nobody. <laughs> and I like Perrin from the books too. He's a great character yeah. in the books. Oh yeah. Um, no. But really quickly, the White Cloaks, they are, they're very white cloaky. Um, I always, I used to call them, I call them the clan cloaks. <laughs> so I would say like, they're the closest thing the book has to the Ku Klux Klan. They're like religious bigots and they're like the worst thing you want to see happening. You know, and I thought, I thought they were even, I gave my colorism spiel before about even Valda. I thought, you know, there was still the way that their threat and how terrible they are came across. I quibble a bit that they're going around chopping off Aes Sedai hands, unless she's unless they get, she's like the weakest Aes Sedai there. I mean, the, the White Cloaks, they, in the books, they do run a certain part of that world. They are dangerous. Like, you know, Aes Sedai say, stay away. They might shoot you in the back with an arrow. I don't know if they're big and bold enough to go around, you know, just snatching up Aes Sedai and chopping off their hands. But I get that the show is trying to convey the terror of them, and they're trying to put the Aes Sedai almost in this Salem witch hunt kind of um, position. And I get that. I, I thought it, I thought there was a way in perhaps for me empowering the white clothes to that degree, diminish the eyes to die a bit. Uh, but that's just me. Um, but other than that, I thought, you know, they're, they're terrible. Yeah. I mean, there had to be, there had to be some minor antagonist and, and yeah, they create more tension for Perrin and Egwene's storyline than anything else that they went through. It's like, oh, the wolves are following you. You can't even see them, but there's some howls and stuff. Oh, there's a mist. Let's go into the mist. Oh, there's tinkers in there. Cool. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Anyone else with some thoughts on the White Cloaks? I mean, yeah, Perrin and Green definitely had the um, backseat in this show. And that, that White Cloaks plotline as well, uh, there was a really cringy bit for me, which was where they washed the grin. I was just Oh, I, yeah. I really struggled to watch that. They they they, they just make them so seem so absolute and villainous. Um, I I think they kind of like hit on the collar because we know that you know they're they're pretty much, um, just really frightening people in the books. Actually, mm -hmm. uh, heretics, people you don't really want to go near. Yeah, but in in the show, it's like they work to some degree. But I feel that um. I don't know the 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 way the menace was presented. Uh, it it wasn't really, it wasn't really deserved. There was there was menace, yes, but it's it's not really explained fully why they are the way they are. Why the children of the light are we're looking for the Aes Sedai in this context? Why mm. this one particular guy is so menacing with his his ring other than the fact that i don't know why they do this a lot with villains they just make them eat in really uncomfortable ways and have you feel like oh this person's really creepy because they're eating this way you know and that just didn't really work for me i feel like the white cloaks in the book were better represented and um yeah you know we'll see where 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 it goes over the course but obviously the wolves come in and and just Eat the Feast on eat, them. Yeah, eat the eat the steaks off of people's shoulders or <laughs> what have you. I don't know. I feel I feel like um in the books we have a little bit more lead time to get to know the white cloaks before yeah, they like we too. hear about them more um before we see them. 
And so there's time for that buildup to occur and you don't have that in this first season. So I think that this is one of the areas where it'll really benefit from more seasons and like as the show. Yeah. More episodes. And as the show goes on, it'll have time to develop and we'll see why, you know, why we should think they're villains and, and what their motivation is, but there's only so much you can do in an eight episode first season. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why I think, go ahead, Fenderson. So I would say, like, I'm, I'm just jumping around here, but we're trapped so much in that eight episode season. Like Sarah said, there's so much stuff that's not built up. Mm-hmm. Like the Eye of the World itself, you know, they've made the Eye of the World something completely different. Yeah. Um, the Eye of the World doesn't get built up enough for me to be like, okay, even though I know that's the name of the Facebook, like in the books, they do, they, they drop it in. It like there's things mentioned. that are happening, why yeah. the Eye of the World is mentioned. And if you want to give another one, the Horn of Valair. The Horn of Valair just kind of like, oh, yeah, what are you digging up there? I'm digging up the Horn of Valair. Oh, is that what you're doing? You're just digging up the Horn of Valair? You're going to throw that at me now at the last episode yeah. in the last few minutes? What's wrong with you? Like in the books, it's like it's a song. It's bought up. Everybody knows they're hunters for the horn. It's like, no, I was like, somewhere, guys, you got to like, you got to give me guideposts along the way. Yeah. Nobody has any idea why that thing is important. <laughs> it's just, it just shows up. And then Parent, of course, yes, everyone knows, impetuous Parent, who always acts without thinking. No, Parent doesn't do that. Hey, let's just take the horn and blow it. Yeah, that's the most unparent like thing <laughs> I have ever seen, <laughs> ever. And so I do think, yeah, I think part of this was the eight-episode problem. It's like, you guys, you guys just dropped some things on us, like, right close, and there's never a chance to build it up so that we can see it really needed to be 12 episodes if if anything less it definitely needed to be 12 yeah because because after after all their storylines converge we have them converge in in tarvalon they completely skipped over camelin from the from the books um and tarvalon i don't think showed up until book two correct yeah yeah that was in the great hunt that that came up first but i I mean, I understand why. Lotus Swan. Yeah, right? I, I mean, I thought they did a good job bringing her in. Yeah, here. yeah, but it's it's kind of interesting because I felt the episode. Uh, I think it was episode six was when they really honed in on um, on the warders, the Aes Sedai. We have everyone in Tarvalon. You get a sense of the politics and everything that's going on. You get uh, Moraine's relationship with Swan Sanche, and the 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 inner workings of the Aes Sedai and how the Amarillin seat works. And that episode was great. And I felt like it, it got the, it got the time that it deserved to build out and flesh out its ideas. But then after that, in episode seven and eight, things just felt so rushed and it was like, boom, 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 yep. through all these different things. And I was like, where, where's like, where, where's all that pacing from episode six? Where's all that time and care from episode six. And you guys just fucking dump through like the last, chunk of the book in order to get to that that finale in in episode I, eight i also going back a little bit to maureen and swan i love that they made their relationship explicit yeah um because it's only really hinted at as having happened in the past like a relationship in, in of new convenience yeah. in new spring mm-hmm. so yeah. i love that they they get this relationship um and you see that it's really loving and and caring and um you feel like they do have this history together yeah, yeah. It was I love real. that we got to see Swan's backstory. Mm-hmm. Exactly, uh, that, that was, was a really good cold open. Father, mm-hmm. the dragon's fang. I thought those were great. Like you're right, and those are great. It's a world building. Mm-hmm. So they tell us everything, like you know how women can channel, how that's a problem, and like why she has to go off, and how she comes from this low background. 
Though it conflicts later on, it conflicts with more with uh, Nynaeve saying earlier, yeah, my mentor went to the White Tower, but she was poor and they didn't let her in. I, really? I think, that no, no, see, I, I, think that, I think that's another case of what the characters are saying they might believe to be true. But like, Maybe so. but they're Maybe so. they're unreliable narrators. They don't have the whole that's story. Yeah. So mm. so that's she, you know she believes that, but that's not yeah. necessarily what happened. I, I hope so. I hope uh, Sarah. I'm going to go with <laughs> you and say the show folks knew what they were talking about. Just like when they had uh, what you call it, call uh, Lose Theron the Dragon Reborn. I'm figuring yeah, like you guys know what you're doing. He ain't been run, he ain't been reborn the yet. Dragon Reborn when he's the dragon. Nobody could have made that big a mistake, and nobody in the set was like, uh, gonna have to film that one over. Yeah. So, I agree with you, Sarah. It has to be that there are bigger plans. They understand it, and the show because you're right, the book, the book works a lot on rumor, mm-hmm. right? People never fully understand what's happening, mm-hmm. yeah. But that's how and that's how it's... lore and prophecy works. It's all, it's all right, yeah, it's a game of telephone, mm-hmm. essentially. And I think it makes a lot of sense that the characters don't have all of the information mm-hmm. they might think right. they do. Um, but this is book one in a 14 book series, yeah. Uh, yeah. season one in a however long show. And so yeah. they're going to make mistakes. You know, they're, they're not going to know what's actually going on. I mean, Robert Jordan himself made mistakes. So <laughs> and he, he admitted <laughs> yeah. it too. He's like, yeah, the, <laughs> the ending of yes, I, the I, was say, was I did love Swan's character. In yeah. And That's I think Tarvalon mm-hmm. itself was, was yeah. like the CG that they, that they did for Tarvalon was actually quite good. And it, it convinced me with once we get down to street level all the hustle and bustle that's going on all the different people yeah the, that's where um, all the budget went yeah exactly <laughs> um Logan. it looked like one of those cities they Too do like Star Trek next generation or something or the voyager visits it was but it, but like much well done and much more well done yeah, yeah. and then mm-hmm. Logan being pulled through the streets was was great um, and Pat and Fane being kind of like creepily around. Exactly. That it's was kind of hanging yeah, around. Yeah. By the way, you said before that Pat and Fane's character was spot on. And there's another change. That Pat and Fane is very changed to me from the book Pat and Fane. Because, I mean, maybe it hasn't happened yet in the book. He comes across as like almost an addict. Like he's whiny or he has, he's like back and forth. And this guy seems much more controlled. Mm. And I don't know if the actor probably said, yeah, I'm not doing that guy. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to be like the suave pattern fan. Yeah. So yeah, I like, I like that as well. Yeah. But the most egregious, I think, representation of any character in this show was loyal. Do it. Oh, I, love, I, love, I love him <laughs> so, yeah, so much. Precious loyal. Oh. oh, he was, he was just, he was just like dumpster fire, man. I don't even know. I, I yeah. think the actor is great. The actor um, is great. Yeah. Well, the actor but, was outstanding. He but, like but he, he, he what did he was not. Given. He did not look like loyal in the in the least. No, he was he was he was um, essentially all of his. I mean, this is something that I loved about Perrin's storyline in the books is Perrin and Egwene. They visit a steading. They don't know it's a steading, but then they end up at a steading with the statue, like the broken statue of Arthur Hawkwing. Um, and that was a good foreshadowing of meeting Loyal later on in the books. And the way that Rand is introduced to him is much more interesting. You know, just like the conversations that they have, I love there was really good uh, world building and character development just between Rand and Loyal and the fact that they bond in this library. And the way that the show represented it, it was just very quick and casual with it, casual without explanation oh this is a, an ogier and it's like okay and rand doesn't really seem to have any reaction to it 
that much in the books. He's just yeah, like, we, we haven't heard of Ogier's existing before. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Like said, nobody's pointed them out. So another thing that just kind of jumps out at you, yeah. like here's an Ogier. Yeah. yeah, and so there's no explanation of what Ogier are. And then the way he looks is just cheesy. The actor, as you mentioned, Ben, is great, but the, the costume... It's just, it's, you know, they said, again, this is a budget thing. They literally said they could not, they they thought of CGIing him and they could not. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, maybe they should have called up um, whoever did the puppet stuff for, uh, (laughs) (laughs) for like, um, you know, something like, come on in, Jim Henson folks. We need some some help. Henderson, take some water. The salt level's going up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're in the ocean now. We're in the ocean, Patty. (laughs) <laughs> but you're like like the way he like oh guess where I was I was in the gardens and I found uh, and I, I was in the gardens of Tara Milan. look what it's like he was just like a MacGuffin character it's like my job is to get naive to you yeah <laughs> right and my job it's like he had no real role there and it just yeah you're right it just didn't there were times it felt like loyal but then there were other times it just didn't did he even mention Master Harmon no once no 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 <laughs> And for me, so. for me, what's most what's most devastating for his character is he had a distinct purpose in the books of being the yes. um, the guide through the way through the ways. Yes. He was the one who opened the waystone. Open it, yeah. And so and so they just took that all away from him and gave him took away all of his purpose in the show. And it's just like, oh, okay. And they so, wanted to do so, the dark uh, the dark stargate yeah uh, version of the portal which we've all seen we've all seen yeah. the dark portal that's why i loved their version of away gate it's a little different yeah. right it's uh, so yeah. i did i did read an, an interview where um rafe was saying that the opening of the way gate isn't necessarily changed like you see pot on fade with um when he exits the way gate you see him with um a leaf so there might be something there still i don't my judgment's reserved there. I agree yeah. that that not having loyal well, open it was. But once once again, but, Sarah, it's just another thing that's left unexplained, and for a casual viewer, they're just going to be lost and think like, "Yeah, okay." I mean, Does this loyal is, this call is true. them all Taverine? Has that been done? He called one of them Taverine. I think he called yeah. uh, Nynaeve. I, I can't remember which character he called Taverine, but he did mention it at one. He's point. he's the one who really introduces that, keeps that term fresh in our heads in the in the first book, yeah. Mike. And like, isn't this, does, I can't remember. I know his purpose in the books is like, I'm going with you because I want to write. I want to, I want to jot all this down. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so his purpose. That's like, purpose, I'm not just called. I'm like, that's why I'm going. Yeah. yeah that's why I'm here. His He's a librarian. He wants to tell that story. He wants to yeah. he wants live to, the story. He wants to conserve the history and, and. Yeah, that's, his, that's his point. Yeah. yeah. And he's also a great person who talks about history. Yeah. And I thought they were going to do that when he like identifies like Rand as Aiel. That's kind of the book there. Yeah. It's never get that conveyed like so much of what they know. He was like, he's a perfect focal point to world building. Yeah. Around, which is I'm surprised they yeah. didn't use him. He, because he knows so much of the past more than, other than the Aes Sedai, he's like one of the, like a repository. He knows everything. Oldest lived. He's a, he's a perfect, um, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a perfect <laughs> uh, deserving info dumper. It's like you can info yeah. dump, and I'm happy to hear you or re- read you. Yeah, info and you dump. can listen to loyal info dump. Yeah, yeah and it's just that was a, that was a wasted opportunity. Yeah. Yes. Um, before we get into the final two episodes, we'll. I just want to touch on the cold open of uh, episode seven, which was the Aiel, which was fucking great. It's like combat pregnancy, just kicking ass, so good. What did everyone think about that, and sort of like how that played into the reveal of? Uh, Rand being the dragon reborn. 
It's fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. I love a good sword fight, and the fact that she was trying to have a baby in, in between. In between, oh my goodness, that was it was wonderfully choreographed. And awesome. she was kicking ass. Yeah. She was really kicking ass. Oh, I, I, I was that, like I, on the edge of my seat and just yeah. gripped by it. I was like, oh my god, we're really going there. <laughs> exactly. And I had just like my heart it's, it's stopped awesome. when uh, when the guy stabbed her in the side, and I was just like, don't. Oh no, I know Rand lives, but it's just like that baby. No. <laughs> And and I and I get that part of it that was really scary, but I think the most shocking part was when Rand's foster dad knew what was happening and whatever orders he had received got reprogrammed. This yeah. is someone in the throes of giving life yep. and yeah. she's dying while she's yeah. trying to give this life and he yeah. stops. It was just yeah. a stunning moment. Yeah. And this is a scene like, again, it seems in the books we're told more about this. And the fact that we got to actually see it happen is another yeah. thing that I thought the show excelled at, giving us scenes that we were just told about. But now we're going we're gonna to recreate them for you. And the fact it was recreated so well, and even like in the books, if I'm correct, like Tam just finds him, but this one, like having him, like you said, Patricia, involved in the act of giving birth. I mean, that was yeah. just. Speaks volumes to his character. And that's what they Mm -hmm. miss. They miss little moments to elevate characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And And so I thought that 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 beginning and that ending there was just, yeah, the way they strung it through, that was like, yeah. And I think I was like, you Ben, it's like we got to see Nail and we're gonna actually see this battle. And you get to again, what's great foreshadowing here, because the Ayel are gonna play such a big role later. This was perfectly done to let us know. The Aiel are badass. Like they what they're will, capable. It just takes one pregnant Aiel yeah. with a few spears, and that's it. Exactly. That's it. You're over. The only thing I would say for the Aiel going forward, I hope that they make. I hope they land diversity on the Aiel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah, know there's sure. this notion because they're red haired, they have to be one way. I mean, no, you can. Doesn't matter. Find you red haired people around the world. Exactly. It's very different. You can do anything you want. It's a show. Yeah. It's you a, got Ogier. It's like I live in you e- I live in Ecuador and I've met red headed Ecuadorian people. So I'm like, there's no way Especially since the Aiel themselves, whatever they look like, their culture is supposed to be like the spear stuff is heavily Zulu, is influenced by Joe Robert Jordan was looking at the Zulu. So the way they fight with spears yeah. is literally taken from the Zulu. It's their part supposed to be taken from Apache. And so they're literally this mix of non-european cultures and so culturally and so i hope when they actually create them uh, for the show and we get to see more that they diversify them as well yeah. but i thought yeah great opening yeah I, great, I, great way to introduce the idea i agree and and it paired nicely with the reveal of rand as yeah. the as the dragon reborn but first of all we'll get into their journey through the ways which i, I feel was a bit underwhelming uh especially with matt leaving at the end of uh episode six and everyone just being like, Matt, Matt. And he's just standing there. Matt. Hey, Matt. <laughs> oh, no, he's gone. Hey, hey, hey it's close. It's close. Matt, Matt, it's closing. Yeah, I, I have COVID. I can't, I can't come in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was so, it was so just like, oh, I know Barney Harris left the show. And so they're going to, ha- they've already recasted uh, Matt for uh, season two. But that just felt like such a cheesy just bullshit way to be like and eh, there's matt's character by the uh, epitome and- of anticlimactic exactly and that was the end of the episode too and so it's just like okay yeah. you know and so for their journey through the ways it's like they're dealing with the aftermath of matt leaving and it just didn't really convince me and then paired with 
the actual look of the ways and what happens in there. Uh, budget. Yeah, yeah budget. <laughs> yeah, the ways, the ways, remember somebody said the ways reminded me something that I would have seen on Hercules or Xena. Yeah. It looked like one of those kind of places. Shit. Yeah. It, it reminded me of like the really early Star Trek like show budgets. Ah. You know, in the, the fight the scene. I, I was expecting a fight scene like that, to be honest. I'm going to have to get a salt shaker for both of you. Well, while we're on it, Machin Shin, you know, I guess, oh, what can I say? Machin Shin in the books. Austin Shin is like the Black Wind, right? The thing yeah. that shows. I thought it was interesting. They made Black Wind look like, I guess, like a bunch of pebbles. I guess they have to make it look like something yeah. that was wind. So I understand it to give it some depth. Or like ash or and, something. You know, know, in the books, it's like, it's, it's very Lovecraftian almost. Like, it whispers terrible things to you and you want to do terrible things to others or yourself. And it reminds me of like an Event Horizon, that place that Lawrence Fishburne and them yeah. went to. Yeah, and the yeah. guy, Sam Harris, pulls out his eyes. Yeah. It's like, it's that kind of thing. But in here, it's kind of like... Uh, I don't know. It's kind of like a mean girl who tells you like terrible things about you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You it's just face. like you're in the locker room and someone. <laughs> Your chin is way too large. They don't like you. And Green's never going to be with you. Yeah, you're not good enough. Like dark side Charlotte from Charlotte's Web or something. That's what it's yeah. for. Yeah, like, yeah I'm mm. just telling you, really, <laughs> it, it can hurt. Machin Shin can hurt you in other ways. Yeah, but this is just like, <laughs> like you're uh, ugly. Your nose is too big. <laughs> it's not menacing. You'll never it's not get menacing. You'll never get published. Yeah, that's the author's word. So what your you're writing saying is, is we could rename it. We could rename it Facebook. That's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. basically. Facebook. Welcome to Facebook. And I get it. Your own it, was, it was interesting the way they used it to to get. Basically, it was done. That was done for Rand's purpose. Yeah. You know, to reveal he's a dragon at the end, but. You know, I was like, it was one of those things where I wasn't upset. I more so laughed. I was like, yeah, Machin Shin is supposed to tell you these terrible things, but now it's just really, really petty and mean. Yeah, that's it. It's petty and mean. <laughs> don't listen to the ways telling you petty, mean things that you don't want to face about yourself. Yeah, and then it's just like... I was like, really excited about the ways, too, and it just was... Me too. Eh. Yeah, it, eh. just gave, it just gave Rand and Egwene some time to snuggle and parent to brood and everyone to... to brood some more. Yeah. Yeah, breed, and everyone breed, to breed some more, and everyone yeah. to to judge each other over how they think of Matt. It's like okay, yeah. But then when they got to the other side, I loved the 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 look of Faldara. Oh my god, um, yeah. yes! Just the set. Faldara looked the like set Faldara. was really really good. It had this like kind of Mongolian fortress type vibe to yeah. it. Really yeah. awesome. Love that. And then, what did everyone think of uh, the changes to Amalisa and? Uh, Lord Agomar's characters. Um, you know, in the books, they're like, like in the books, Faldara is pretty much the one place I said I can go, and people are like ready to kiss their feet. <laughs> right? Moraine shows up, and they're like almost sycophants, right? To Aes Sedai. Like, you can't speak ill of an Aes Sedai yeah. here because they're so close. And of course, I was surprised too when Lord Agomar is like, what y'all doing here? And I was like, whoa, what's, where is this? where is this shade coming from? Like, to Moraine. And so, it was an interesting change. I just want to know what people might have thought about And then it. his sister had the ring, too, with the... That was a nice little touch. She had yeah. the ring, like, without a gemstone. Yes. Which was a good way yeah. of showing, like, mm-hmm. yeah, she went to the White Tower, but didn't necessarily make the cut. Um, I mean, it kind of... For me, it didn't really... Lord Agomar worked in the sense that he was... Um, he was being set up to face the Trolloc army uh, as as the leader. So it was kind of like, um, it felt a little bit like Helm's Deep, um, 
where it's like, this is my duty and I have to, I have to fight to the end for my city kind of thing. And so why should I rely on the Aes Sedai, et cetera, et cetera. But his sister, that didn't really work for me um, because, you know, we're getting into the finale and then we have the Trolloc army uh, invading through Tarwin's Gap. Tarwin's Gap fell. And who do we have to face this massive uh, 10, 20,000 Trolloc army? We have five channelers, one of which didn't make it through to the White Tower and become an Aes Sedai. She's leading yeah. them. And then two of them who are just like weak ass because you can see that their link is really uh, faded. And then Nynaeve and Egwene just kind of like stroll in off the side and then they're like, okay, we bond, link together and wipe out a whole Trolloc army. So if <laughs> I, have so yeah. many, I have so many problems with that. I, you know, I, I keep, I'm, 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 I'm torn about that because I... Going back and reading, I was like, I figured what they were trying to do here was they're trying to give something for the others to do. Yeah. And you saw that you pretty much Perrin had nothing to do. Yeah. I guess Matt wasn't there. Because Matt, Matt, about it. He had, Perrin? He was running around. Matt, Perrin was just running around the castle. Perrin had to um, think. Perrin? He, had, he was thinking and brooding. Stop. And That's so what he, they're trying to give something. They're trying to give a role for Nynaeve and Egwene yeah. in this larger battle. Because remember, in the books, they all go to the place. Exactly. Once they change that. When it's just one person, it has to do again with them starting off with the fact that everybody knows they're looking for the Dragon Reborn. And so, you know, once they find out, only one person can go. And so they kind of had committed to them, committed to that from the beginning. And so, and that's why Lan is just conveniently missing and with a machete, you know, trying to get through all, all the blight by himself. Yeah. And I, I <laughs> so, there's so much stuff. And so it ends up with these women having to face this Trolloc army. And I understand you want to give them something to do. And it was like, wow, glorious when they do it. But then, you know, I was like, well, if that's the case, why do y'all need Rand again? Well, what's really sad about... Yeah, but what's really sad about that, that, you just sort of touched on it, is when the men were going to hold the gap, and the gap was going to fall. And when it fell, the women were going to have to protect the city. We only had five. It would have been nice to see the, the women, women put the women really protecting the city. And in that yeah, last moment, yeah. these five having to come in and wipe yeah, up well, anything. Yeah. They wiped it all out. They never really reached the city. No. They never fought the city. Yeah, I thought, I thought it was like fight the city itself. But they should, they should have just been at Tarwin's Gap, if that's the case. Thank you! Oh like you, my gosh! You, you could have done the same thing and saved your brother and everyone. But, I mean, this comes down to it. That was... I mean, it has to do, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to, they decided to reveal that Rand is Dragon Reborn in episode seven. Through, right? through Min, the through books, Min the reveal is just that he can channel. Yeah. And so he does this channeling and his channeling is super channeling. He destroys the entire Trolloc army. He goes super Saiyan. It feels like once they've taken away that reveal that he's a dragon, once they've taken that away and they'd already told us, well, he's a Dragon Reborn, not just he can channel. That's where they had to make Rand's ending have to do, like Patricia says, this Anakin, will you choose, you know, the dark side yeah. or the light side? They had to create this other, this other reveal. And that's what it ended up being. And to me, I, I always think that's where episode eight kind of like felt like, eh, like the climax just after this great buildup, it didn't, well, if he's a dragon, he's a center person, he really seemed to do much. <laughs> He was he was like the black Ghostbuster, right? He didn't really Stop! do much. I'm d- oh, <laughs> we went there. <Stop>! Right? <laughs> it was like if you're the center guy, I don't understand why you're like the side guy. I don't, I, didn't, I don't know. 
And I, I get what they were trying to do. I need Take away Advil and horse and whips on here. with this vacuum, and I can't help but feel that's part of what made episode eight kind of Man. fall a little flat. Yeah, I mean, it felt anticlimactic because um, Rand. There's there was so much stuff in episode seven that was kind of reaching a, a peak, and it worked. In in some mm-hmm. ways, in some ways, it didn't. Um, I thought the uh, Lan and uh, Nynaeve's relationship. While it did get a little bit too much like, oh, I'm falling head over heels for you. I'll devote myself to you entirely kind of thing. The build up towards their relationship and them finally having sex, it was like, good on you guys. Go for it. You know, um, the love triangle thing that coming up, that was a bit eh, didn't need to be mentioned at all. Really, it was kind of like a useless sense of conflict from my perspective. Um, and then the way that that Min Farshaw's visions and Rand Rand's own memories kind of converging and him realizing like I am the dragon reborn that all worked for me I thought that was good um but then episode eight just it fell flat in so many ways it felt like there was there was like no there was so much less tension um because uh when everyone was going through the blight together the blight itself felt more uh malicious and alive in this case it was like Rand and Maureen, they're just walking through the blight. She's like, don't touch anything. And he's like, you look tired. You should sleep on the stuff I just told you not to touch. And then he has like this, you know, dream visions and all this kind of stuff. And it didn't really feel as, um, it didn't feel as powerful or as important as, as it was in the book when they were all going through together. And Lan is reminiscing about the seven towers of Malkir. And in this case, uh, Rand and Moraine see it. It's covered by the blight. Nothing is mentioned about it really. And then Land sees it when he's running and hacking slash through the through the blight, Indiana Jones style in a jungle. And then he sees it, and there's no there's no shot of him being like, oh God, like that was my home. That was, you know, I was supposed to be the king of that place. And none of that happened. And then I think go for ahead, me, all of it 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 all comes back down to episode eight needed more time Yep, because it has all of these disparate threads and they try to cram so much into it that nothing has any sort of impact. And you needed at least another episode to, to give all of these like plot lines time to breathe and to give them the importance that, that they deserve. Yeah, I agree. It it felt more like a divide and conquer kind of thing. Um, I, I think the writers felt maybe pushed into a corner. They're like, we're at the end of a book here. This is how it unfolds in the book. How are we going to play it out into the TV show? And I think they really wanted to try and give people arcs, you know? <laughs> so Perrin just ends up running around, you know, Baldara trying to, but he, he could be trying just to find like a hammer at this point. There's also, I'm just, I'm just and, looking for a bathroom, man. I don't yeah, know. <laughs> There's a point where where he like I think I see Pat and Fane and he runs off and there's a bat which bat was there for it yeah. scares him and then he ends up coming back it's like so wait a minute you went looking for Pat and Fane and Pat and Fane went to the place you were just at yeah. what in the Scooby Doo running around I would the place think, I, would I thought they were going in and out of every room yeah. after a while and there'd be a song playing I was like it was I, I was literally interested just... in seeing what the original version of the script for this episode was yeah mm. when because Matt, again Matt, like Matt I think was it, still involved yeah yeah like I think it probably went through a lot of different iterations or what we see on screen is probably quite different from what they originally intended just yep. due to COVID and Matt leaving and all of that. So I think that would be, I, 
want to say kind of reassuring. <laughs> it, it would it would possibly reassure me if I saw that their original vision uh, was different from what we ended up getting. Yeah, I think a lot of this was just sidelined by COVID and, and a lot of scheduling issues. You know, I've I've read that Egwene and Nynaeve joining that that little quintet of women to to stop a giant trollic army that that had to do with scheduling issues and you can kind of just mm. see like they're just walking in on a sound yeah. stage and joining that and then the rest was cgi and the trollocs yeah. were so, pretty horrendous the vfx of that um we're, we're left with this we're left with rand i mean what rand's ultimate battle becomes this choice right yeah. which i mean i kind of Again, it was really, it was really Anakin, like you said. And really Ishmael, like Anakin talking into his ear, like the the Emperor Palpatine, right. you know. And, and, <laughs> and, and you know, they're pulling things from the books because you know both both Egwene and Rand do see these this alternate. By the way, in the books, this is like a multiverse. This is an alternate reality that they see, yeah. where they are married and they have a kid. That's like something that actually happens in another reality here um, they never make that certain it's something like oh you can create it no that's, that's a whole other world that in which that happened in and so i i saw where they were you can tell that they were pulling pieces from the book to make this and they made the eye of the world something different right the eye of the world is no longer this great pool of male power that rand is going to use to you know come into his own being and super channel and destroy an entire army yeah. It's now, a, I guess, is, is it the Dark Lord's prison? Have they have they moved it from Shiogul, or is it Saracen? I think it's one. Do they I think have it's, information wrong here. I'm wondering if they're wrong and they think this is the Dark One's prison. I think it's one I'm of the seals. To work, I'm like work with me. I think it's work like yeah. I think it's like one of the seals for his prison. Yeah, and, and it's one of the seals. Yeah. yeah, I I think this is another case of what the information the characters get. Yeah. is not actually correct. Accurate. Nobody yeah. knows. But Shia, I guess, I, again, I'm a book person, so I'm like, come on, how many times do we hear the Dark One is in prison? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, nobody, I guess but nobody Rand, in this one knows Rand in the that first, Shia is in the Dark Prison. I think, in, okay. the, in the first book, Rand is so insistent that he's killed the Dark One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That so. I thought was true. They both, they all think that Ishmael, the Alzaman, is... Mm -hmm is the dark but it's like no he's so, just yeah, a forsaken I, and he's just a it was just that, if you know yeah. look are we all going to talk about the elephant in the room here that the green man missing in the that room. was that <laughs> that oh. is like on par with loyal in terms of like Daily that there's was no, one of my favorite parts of the, of there's, the there's no green man the crazy and I, I mess of an ending yeah. out of money i get you couldn't like painted a guy green <laughs> just glue some leaves <laughs> and branches to him look someone from the effects department yeah. One, there's something about the green man that is interesting because it has to do with actual old folklore which is always human human folklore yeah, yeah like mm -hmm. our folklore and so i really wanted to see that kind of character yeah. we learn in the later books like there's an importance to these folks like these folks who were the green men there's this relationship to loyal that they had that, that's fascinating and there's there's something that was a letdown and not seeing that like i remember when i wrote in my blog in episode seven i said hope we see a green man there's something the letdown in that was a bit of I don't know if it was just not the budget or the, the show not having the faith that people who have not read the books were not going to accept a green man. But there's so much. Right? There's so and much of the show judge, that, like my, that could be the same thing. What's yeah? I always judge my things. I'm like I was saying like, are you guys ready to go there and just be like, okay, we're gonna go here and we're gonna trust that you guys are ready to come along? And I always think of like when I first saw the first Avengers movie. Like when they have the aliens come out the portal in the sky, I was like, yes, because that's what we would see in a comic yep. book. 
And I could see earlier directors being like, we're not going to go there. We're going to lose people who are not used to the comic books. But they're like, no, we're just going there. And I really wanted to see them go there and not having that happen. Yeah. It was, it was disappointing. I mean, but it, it, come, I get it comes it, down to budget again. Or what have you, yeah. But it would have been, it would have been good to see that character. And I don't know, they could have done something to me with that last finale that was just a bit more impactful than what it ended up being. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll get into, into the confrontation with uh, Rand and Ishmael. So turns out, I mean, for readers of the books, they know Ishmael is a forsaken and he's one of the followers of the dark one and he's not actually the dark one. And so it's kind of a, well, we, a we've ruse. just given a spoiler. Yeah. No, this whole thing's been full of spoilers, man. So we get to, we get to that point. And, and for me, it's just Ishmael uh, in the books is, is psychotic and, and just really off the hinge. And I loved that. And I felt like this version of Ishmael was so composed. It almost, and his, his outfit too was really, I, I, I was watching on YouTube, someone commenting on the episode and they compared it to like the outfit of like a futuristic waiter. And it really <laughs> took me out. It took me out of it so much because the costume was just so like, whatever. And the guy was so calm. And I'm like, no, like, I understand he's trying to put Rand through this, this struggle of like, yes, yes. Give in to the dark side kind of thing. But it just didn't. It didn't hit for me. and It wasn't scary. No. And then when Rand eventually gets to the point where he makes a choice, I love Egwene so much that this is not, I understand that it's her choice to go to the White Tower and not to live this life with me. And how that was eventually, that was ultimately his way of breaking through and, and steering away from, from the dark. But his expulsion of power his representation of power was less impressive than naive naive using channeling in in the cave with Loghain it was like naive looks way more badass than you and you're the dragon reborn and your first true explosion of power and channeling was just like and then the guy's face melts and he smiles at you because he knows I'm not the dark one and now I know who you are and it's just uh, it didn't it didn't work for me well, yeah. I thought he was smiling because he got Rand to um, break one of the seals. That too, yeah. So it's like revealing himself as the Maybe. Dragon Reborn and then breaking the seal. Yeah, but the, the the cheeky little smile that was essentially him saying like, I'm not the truest villain and there's more <laughs> seasons to come. So They, they did the yeah. cast him well. You know, he, he fits the bill. But I just wanted it, him it's, to be it's more tough crazy. for actors to work with what they're given, isn't it? Mm. it's just another yeah, case think, of that think, yeah yeah that's it and i think this goes back to sarah's point about the uh the shrieking um our shrieking midraw our shrieking fades like in the books again with build up we get a lot of i mean we, we get uh, quite honestly a little bit too much about him. he's constantly like worm he's constantly yeah. showing up in and in this one we we seem to get like one or like there are one or two dreams but he never talks yeah. he never gives his speeches where he's like telling them what's going on and what they're going to do and how he's the dark just one. sweet nothings in the you night know, and yeah. really going and so when we finally do get him at the end it does feel a little anticlimactic because he was the guy with the fiery eyes before he was the fiery eye guys who's talking no but shit. now it's just like arrow so, pierces his eye and then just like and then it's just, <laughs> but that was clearly another moment where they're like look the budget can't carry this forever we need to stop it <laughs> exactly but we can't let, have fire man let's find a guy on the street and get him to uh, play uh ishmael and just 
crack on with it. The budget guys were on the set, like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine someone... Probably had the FDA over his shoulder the entire time while producing this. I just imagine someone there on the side of every set with a calculator just being like, the budget's going down. Minus, do, 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 do. Minus, do, 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 do. Uh, so I assume we're going to have to get rid of that lawyer wig. It's just costing us too much. Well, you have to wonder if they get their second season, if they'll get more money and they can really they have already go at it. They got it. Yeah, they, they got some spring green. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But more episodes. Like the Witcher. This show is costing more than Game of Thrones. Yeah. Right per episode. Because there's more. There's more visual effects. Yeah. Yeah. There's just, yeah. There's more and they effects. also have to spend a lot of money on um, COVID precautions. Yeah. yeah. That's true. So that yeah, takes that. a big chunk of the budget out. And inflation. You know yeah. how much it takes it costs to get an O'Gear into port these days. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the second time you've mentioned inflation today, Fenders. <laughs> <laughs> get to, hilarious, yeah. oh man anyway uh patty or sarah do you want to do you want to give some uh, final thoughts on the on the finale one thing that you have to mention we're, we're gonna get to the waiting, we're gonna okay. get to the shanchins we're gonna get to the shanchins yeah. <laughs> patty or sarah. what saves the show <laughs> well i i guess my final thought would be that i just hope that they get a little more money for the budget and I don't know. I want to say slow down. You know, that's not in my vocabulary usually to say slow down, but they, <laughs> they do. They need to give some more love to some of these characters because they just feel like pawns that you can just get rid of on the chessboard. Um, so I hope they spend a little more time with the quiet moments with these characters so that they can build them up for their big moments. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I would second all of that. Like, I hope they get a bigger budget. I hope they get more episodes. Um, I think where the show has really shined has been um, some of these smaller world building moments, like Weep for Minethrin, you know, that was a really powerful scene. And I want more of that kind of thing and less of the just kind of running around. You don't really care about the battles or anything like that mm -hmm. um, because they don't have any, we haven't had the buildup for them to have that kind of impact yet. Right, because that particular moment was this perfect combination of character building, giving history mm -hmm. and lore, mm -hmm. and also giving a sense of um, the bloodline of these of these people who come from the two towers, and they have the blood of Menethrin and and mm -hmm. and their people, those people, in their veins, and and all of them singing this somber song together. Was like, and that's cool. a scene that almost yeah. got cut, and I'm so yeah. glad that it didn't. Yeah, because that um, that because for I me, it, it 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 resonated in terms of what the show, like you said, mm -hmm. is missing a lot of the time. Is just these quieter moments where you let loyal talk about lore and history with Rand, or these quieter moments where you have, uh, you know, them and like in the relationship Berlon. building. Yeah, them and Berlon and, and Rand, like having this weird flirtation with this, with this uh, barmaid and then thinking like, Oh, Egwene. And it's like, that's the kind of stuff that makes this stuff work. It sells it because Rand realizes that he's a cute young guy and maybe there's more to Egwene in this world, but then he really loves Egwene, you know, at the end of the day, it's just all these little details that, that make the characters stand out. Um, we'll get into Speaking final. Of which, um, have we discussed men? Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, we 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 mentioned Min uh, very briefly, but let's get into her before we get into the Shanchins and and uh, and final impressions. But do you want to do you want to jump off on Min Fenderson? Oh, 
I mean, it was great to see Min. I've been because we didn't go to Barrel and these other places. You wondered if we would see her. As I said before, I I find it odd that Min is hanging out at the end of the far world. end <laughs> of the world. But in the book, she had been a tavern person for I don't know if she'd ever lived in the Borderlands. But hey, I'm willing to roll with that. I thought the actress. I I, I, I like the actress that played her. They've given they've given this Min uh, a, a bit. She's a bit more direct than the other than the other men. So that's fine. I think. I think it's part of just growing everyone a bit up a bit more. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm interesting to see. We know she's, we all know she's it is coming back for a lot of reasons. Uh, and so, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing her, uh, her again as a character. Yeah, me Since too. she took off. <laughs> the, yeah. This man did have the sense to like, yeah, I'm out of here. She just jumped on a car. <laughs> but you just, just wonder like, what she's running from, right? I'm wondering, right. is she running from that or is she running from certain visions that she's seeing and involving brand and, and her so yeah anyone else on uh, on min i think the casting again was absolutely perfect um we, we, we're getting much older versions of the characters within the books so min's quite innocent a little more childlike in the books and we're, we're not getting that here but you know it's it feels more serious a little bit darker we need that tone with the series we do um it, it just helps a just stretch out that appeal more to more viewers. Yeah, I agree. But I think the way that they implemented her into the, into the episode worked in the sense that she withheld information from, from Moiraine and Rand coming back alone was uh, enough of a spark to, to tell him more of the truth about himself. And so it's cool that she's kind of like playing this game of, telling because Moraine obviously has her own uh, her own desires and her own plans so it's kind of like withholding this from her because this is not for her to know this is for Rand specifically to know or this is for Nynaeve to specifically know etc yeah yeah I'm hoping that we never have to see Almindra (laughs) (laughs) all right and uh before we read the books know what that means what, what did you guys make of the um actual visions when she had them in the tavern did you like the graphics that they used for that or it was okay it didn't really say yeah. me that much budget but... constraints yeah mm-hmm. budget constraints again definitely yeah, it was okay. yeah yeah and uh before we get into final impressions the the tidal wave in the room about the <laughs> final the final scene oh. how the i can't remember like i never know how to pronounce this properly sanchin or shanchin 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 they yeah they hate so, that little girl on the beach so so much yeah this is just a funny thing so final final scene of the episode the shanchin come in on their boats with their with their slave channelers i think they are essentially mm-hmm. um <laughs> it was just a bit goofy to me Why? because there's this little girl on a beach and they come in and use their channeling to create a tidal wave. And I'm like, they really fucking hate that little girl. Cause there's <laughs> nothing else on that beach. <laughs> Who else is there to witness that, you know? Yeah. But that was kind of a thing where they introduced this right at the very end. This is a tease to be like, okay, come on for season two. We got this big new baddie. Um, they didn't mention the Shan Chin. There's one little bit, uh, Moraine, when she's talking uh, to the head of the Blue Aja, the sitter, which I never explained, or sitters, uh, she says, I'm going out to investigate some ships. 
Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. And so uh, nobody, yeah, nobody should know who Deshaun Chen are. Yeah. Because um, though they could have mentioned Arthur Hotwing having armies that went across the sea, that yeah. would have helped. As you, yeah. I think you said, Adrian, there were like missed points there that Loyal or anybody else could have bought up. Exactly. Um, is just to say that there are other people across the sea, or like there are other people across the RSO. So they never fully say. But I do remember. But you only know that if you read the books. Yeah. That ships have been disappearing. And that's, so, in the mid- ah, yeah. and that's in the midst yeah. of a conversation that a lot of people could easily gloss over because it's just such a brief. Yeah, it's, it's in the middle of a, they're in a bath. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so. Another, another. Yeah, nobody's going to, nobody would have picked that up. That was like, I mean, just like Sean and the end to me, those were teasers for, those were like, okay, we're giving this to fans, yeah. right? People yeah. who know the books and know who Sean Chen are. Because otherwise it'd be like, who are these guys coming on these ships that look like Lord of the Rings-ish people? They look like. Haradrim, yeah. <laughs> Did anyone um, find it a little bit strange that uh, I think they clearly thought the um, colors were quite problematic, so they decided to go with mouth gags instead? Yeah. Yeah. What? And so, you know what was... So, BDSM, man. It's all throughout this uh, series. I don't know. <laughs> Those mouth gags actually are literally represent... People have pointed out, I, I saw it immediately. They're the mouth gags that were used on enslaved uh, men and women in Brazil. They're really common. Wow. And it's like a common picture. And so everybody's like, you guys just use the slave, like anyone who's familiar with slavery right, has seen those pictures before. Yeah. And so when I saw it, I was like, Deshaun Chen have always been, <laughs> wow, big baddies, but they've also been like a little problematic. Edward Said would come in here and and mark you with like 10 orientalism <laughs> yeah they're also called gossip bridles um supposedly they yeah. were used to keep women from gossiping yeah. yes from gossiping so yeah, yeah the, so i thought it was an interesting use of that and like i always wondered what they were going to do with deshaun chen because i said deshaun chen can be problematic especially in your more diverse understandings because they suffer from a lot of these strange people from across the sea with their strange customs right and they tend to be, and even though in Randland on that side of the world, they have a diversity of people, you really get the Deshaun Chen at first. Though they try to break it up by saying, no, there are people here with blonde hair too. And so it's a mix of everything. Even though they have a black empress, it's a mix of everything. But the show seemed to really lean in. I was wondering what the show was going to do when everybody came on the deck or a little darker and swarthy. Yeah. And they were, for some reason, they weren't slurring their speech like, they were actually, because everybody in, in this book speaks the same language. It's just, you know, there's old tongue, but they're really speaking what sounds like something else. Mm-hmm. And, yep. and they went with the, this, what to me was like, oh, slavery mouth gags. I was like, hmm, you guys, you guys saw Lord of the Rings and you know all the problems of the Battle of Pelennor Fields, right? You guys haven't recreated that here. You guys, you guys have had like 10 years of Peter Jackson's to figure out what to do there 20 so, years of peter jackson i was happy to see that scene i was excited i like was yes but i was also like hmm hope you guys are hope you guys know what you're doing here and well uh patty or sarah do you want to get in here with uh with some uh, impressions of yeah, I agree with all of that it just seemed really odd and i'm thinking the little girl was i was thinking the little girl what what is she? Is she like another dragon reborn? They had to like put a tidal wave on her. I didn't see like armies. It needs to be like buried beneath water. And I was like, maybe they need to have to bring the ships in. I so I didn't understand what the show of force was for no one to see except the audience. Um so introducing of another baddie, fantastic, but you haven't resolved some stuff with the baddies that you have. True. 
Yeah. Sarah? Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with um, Patty and Fenderson have been saying that it's interesting to see them. I'm looking forward to what they do with it. Um, I hope that they avoid some of the pitfalls that it seems like they're going straight for. <laughs> um, but I guess we have to wait until season two to to really find out. Yeah. And Ben, do you wanna do you wanna give your impressions of the that last scene and then get into your final impressions of the show as a whole? So I'm thinking um they, they only cast a girl on the beach because of budget again, they can have an entire army to be washed away. That's <laughs> that's my opinion on that. Uh <laughs> so I get out the salt. But no, um I, I'm really excited for the Sean Chan in some ways. Uh yeah, there's probably gonna be some problematic things which are gonna be quite difficult to overcome, but at least it's going to make viewers hate them. That, that's going to be abundantly clear straight from the get-go. And I'm interested to see how much traveling we do in the next um, uh, season two, because, you know, th- there is a lot of traveling in the next book, and it feels very exotic and very different. So are we going to get that, or is budget going to come in pl- into play again? And, you know, we, we only just get a little slice of what we want to see. Mm-hmm. And then how are they going to play... Moraine into season two because I don't think we brought up, but she essentially oh, yeah. gets gentled by Ishmael. I don't not gen I not gent still. I think she's shielded. Yeah, I don't think she's shielded. I think it's shielded. Because she can still feel it. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking um, of playing with this. Yeah. I think because Moraine doesn't really have a lot to do in book two. So no. this gives this like this gives her a journey yeah, to and did. an arc. Um and so even though it's quite different from the books it's you know it's a huge departure um i think that from a tv perspective you can't have your main character like mia yeah and so this gives her something to do that's true and sarah what are your final impressions for the for the season um overall i really liked it uh, i tend not to be a super critical viewer of things that i'm predisposed towards liking mm-hmm. um you know there there were some changes uh i didn't necessarily agree with all of them as we've discussed in this in this episode but overall i enjoyed it i'm looking forward to season two um it was nice to come on to sff addicts and talk about a show that i did like as opposed to why the last man (laughs) yeah just chat on that show Uh, and Patty, what about you? Uh, what were your What are your final impressions of this season? I love what Sarah just said. I am predisposed towards fantasy, and I have always brought that suspension of belief when it comes to a really bad Transformers movie or a fantasy show that has missed the mark on a couple of things. These are the worlds that I enjoy, um, even though the characters seemed a little seemed a little bit off and too many, and the the pace went too fast, and I'm lost on some things because of that um i will be back for season two to see where it goes and i hope they just slow the pace a little bit which again is weird for me to say so that i can have those little moments and i hope my boy perrin comes back with a vengeance yeah and fenderson what about you final impressions yeah i mean i think overall uh despite all my criticisms i did like the show um i'm glad it's there i'd rather it be there than not uh, overall, I think I liked most of the show. I had my criticisms. I had my what <laughs> at times, um, but you know, I I want to see the show succeed. I want to see more of it. I'm looking forward to it. 
I, I, I take to, I take to heart again that I think that Robert Jordan himself is working out some things in the first few books. And so I'm hoping that they're, they're going to work out those things that didn't work. I thought the things that worked well, they did well. I want to see them keep that up. Plans change, uh, Egwene and Nynaeve. I'm really looking forward to seeing their journey. And there are a lot of things I'm looking forward to seeing in the next season. I would like to see, you know, more of the, yes, I would like to see more of the Sean Chan, of course. I expect to see uh, Soldam and Damani. I'm just going to go ahead and give a bunch of spoilers here for anybody who's read the book. I'm sorry. I hope okay. I see Black Aja. I hope some people who I know of Black Aja are revealed as yeah. being uh, Black Aja. I hope to see Varen. Where I can't wait to see Varen. I hope we get to see Elida. Um, I'm actually hoping because of the way books two and three go that there are ways that so they've got to cut down. They don't have 14 seasons. I'm hoping they can combine some of two and three. Like I, I wouldn't think, mind the, for uh, the see in I wouldn't mind to see in season two both Falma, the Battle of Falma and the Fall of Tear. I would like get 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 on with it. Let's get to it because <laughs> really, book two is a whole lot of oh, we're looking for the Haunted Valley here, and here we go, and here we go, and you know, and then book three, Rand isn't even in book three for the most part. He just kind of shows up every once in a while, and then at the yeah. end, boom, here I am, homie. I'm the Dragon Reborn, <laughs> and, and so I'm hoping that they do some that they extend some episodes, but they also condense some things so we can get to like the meat and potatoes of the show, which is actually him, you know, cause really like I'm, I'm rereading again. And like, like book four, things change so much. The characters yeah. change because it's like, they've grown up a lot in <laughs> what they've been through. And they're like, we're about to become like, you know, world leaders here. So things are going to change. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I think they are planning to condense book two and three together for season two. But if they do that, it's like, they really need to, be step up their games yeah. in terms of more episodes yeah, yeah you're more, gonna have to have more episodes for that yeah yeah more episodes um a little bit more uh thoughtful about where they put their budget and their vfx but also more time for editing i think just more time for editing and more time to make each episode as clean as possible because there were a yep. lot of issues with editing throughout this season uh but despite that i i really enjoyed it it was fun to watch it with my mom and dad um and despite all the things that that annoyed me, nothing threw me off of the show so much that I would say I'm not watching season two because I I will definitely watch season two. And I'm very, very thankful that all of you took the time today to chat with me about this show. Um, there's a lot of passion here, a lot of people who love the series. And yeah, I'm very glad that you could all join me. Um, we'll just go one by one if you can tell listeners and viewers where to find you on social media. If you want to pimp your book a little bit, that's totally cool too. We'll start with you, Patty. Um, hi, everyone. Thanks for being with us. Um, my debut novel, Forging a Nightmare, came out in November. It is an urban fantasy about an FBI agent who learns that he is a Nephilim and that in order to stop a serial killer, he has to saddle up with one of the, as one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and he has to tame her which doesn't come easy. Um, you can find me on Twitter. That's where I usually hang out at Tristan. That's T-R-E-I-S-T-A-N. And that's where I'm usually hanging out. Or you can find me on my website at bybirthright.com. Awesome. Thank you. And Ben, what about you? So you can find me on Twitter as well at literature and life lo-fi, because apparently you can't put and in it. Uh, <laughs> there's not enough room. 
But also, I've got my YouTube channel, so you can find me at Literature and Lo-Fi, where basically I do videos on the Wheel of Time, um, a lot of focus on indie books as well. Just generally try to troll a few people as well. Right on. And Sarah, where can people find you? Uh, so you can find uh, fiction fans um, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at fictionfanspod. And you can email us at fictionfanspod at gmail.com if you have any thoughts about what I've said on this podcast and want to come disagree <laughs> with me. <laughs> right on. And Fenderson, we'll close out with you. If you can uh, show that show that copy of which book do you have there? Oh, uh, Gathering oh my yes. God. Where can people find you? So, uh, hi. So there's two of them now. There's two. There's two. <laughs> uh, twins. Yeah. So um, what I was going to say was, oh, and she's taking my lighting. <laughs> you guys can uh, find me at my website, uh, pjellyclark.com, or you can find me on Twitter when I'm there at pjellyclark. Um, uh, I'm the author of several books. One of those is Ring Shout. The other that came out last year is called The Master of Jin. If anyone wants it, I'm. Thank you for having me on, Adrian, to talk about this. I've been blogging about it, talking about it to people who don't want to my hear. My pleasure, my friend. So I have a trapped audience now who can uh, listen to me uh, <laughs> rave and rant and critique and love at the same time about this story. I'm sorry we didn't get to talk about Luz Theron, uh, that we got to see Luz Theron, who is a person of color. And I was like, yes. Uh, so that was great to yeah. see as well. But thank you for having me here. No, it was my pleasure. And uh, for anyone who's interested, I did an interview with Fenderson back in uh, June of last year. The video is on the FanFi Addict YouTube channel and the audio is on the SFF Addicts podcast feed in two parts, I believe. So yeah, if you're interested, go check that out. We talk a lot about history and Egypt and gin and magic and all kinds of cool stuff. But thank you all so much. It was a pleasure chatting about Wheel of Time with you. It was very nice to see you all. And yeah, I hope to have you back on sometime soon. Patricia and Sarah, obviously together, got to keep it four for four for next one, right? We're a pair. Yeah. Mm -hmm. no all right. Well, thank you guys so much. Thanks, Adrian. It was great coming on. Thanks, Adrian. Pleasure as always. have it thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed our tv club panel on the wheel of time thank you again to our guests this episode fenderson patricia sarah and ben if you like this episode please subscribe rate and review us on your platform of choice and share us with your friends it helps a lot and we greatly appreciate it you can also follow sff addicts on twitter or instagram at sff addicts pod for updates and more and you can follow me Adrian M. Gibson on Twitter or Instagram at Adrian M. Gibson. SFF Addicts is part of fanfiaddict.com, so make sure to check us out there for the latest in book reviews, essays, and all things sci-fi and fantasy, as well as the full episode archive for the podcast. And for all your literature needs, head over to thebrokenbinding.co.uk. All music comes courtesy of the talented Astronauts. Check them out on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com str O-N-O-Z. All links for the episode are also available in the show notes. Now, keep reading, keep imagining, and we'll see you next time on SFF Addicts. <laughs>